Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Surprise Jab Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Ruger, surprising you with new topics every single week and jabbing you with your daily dose of UFC. And it is Thursday, January 11th, coming to the end of my first week of classes. Pretty, pretty crazy. Uh, It's wild that I'm already in my uh, second semester of my junior year. Um, I can tell it's going to be a lot of work, but you know what? I got the worth of ethic. I got the worth ethic. Work ethic. Gosh, do I have a stutter or something? What was that called when you can't pronounce words? Is it dyslexic? I don't know. I don't want to offend anyone. But yeah, it's going to be gonna be a fun, fun semester, I can tell. Um, actually, after this podcast, after I'm re- done recording this, I got to go to the library. Love the, love the college library, by the way. Anyone who's in college, take use of your library. It is... It'll be a place that you will miss once you're in the real world. Actually, I just like libraries in general, personally. But anyways, what we're going to be talking about today, of course, a little introduction. We always do a little introduction, but uh, NFC and AFC wildcard predictions. That's right. The NFL playoffs kicks off Saturday with two games, Sunday with three, and Monday with one. We'll be dropping our predictions, including score predictions. Ooh, first time doing score predictions all season, as well. Our UFC Vegas 84 predictions headlined by uh, Magomed Ankalaev and Johnny Walker. Little rematch from UFC 294. Very excited to talk about that. Going to be kicking this off, of course, with some new UFC news. Um, We're also going to be doing our end of the year fantasy football review that's going to be a fun segment that's your surprise topic i'm excited for that we're going to be reviewing a movie i watched and we're going to be talking about some recent coaching changes in the nfl this is going to be a fun one but yeah i just kind of wanted to kick this off with a review of my classes that i've um taking this semester. I've already been able to dabble with a couple of them. So I have three online, two fully in person and one half in person and half online. So we'll start with the online ones. Okay. So first off, I have principles of microeconomics. I'm getting the vibe. It's going to be a very straightforward. You read from the book online, you take notes, you take an exam, you take quizzes, and that's how it goes. I haven't dabbled into it yet, but I will be be doing that later, which I'm not entirely looking forward to personally. I mean, it doesn't seem like the most exciting class. Macroeconomics was kind of tough, but we'll see. Uh, we'll see what it brings. Um, another one I have online is principles of international business. I'm getting very weird vibes from the teacher. He hasn't posted anything on D2L, the site we use here at Minnesota State Mankato, um, but does send out a lot of emails. So I feel like this is a class I'll have to check my email every day. I've already gotten like 10 in the first week. So I'd very much prefer if it was D2L updates. That way, you know, it's next to all my other classes. But if I have to check my email, oh well. My other one, business ethics. It is a intensive writing class. There's going to be a lot of writing. I already have three assignments due um, by Sunday night. So I'm actually going to try and bang those out today and tomorrow, which will be Friday the 12th before my first weekend back. Because you know on the weekends, we do not like to do homework. We, we like to have fun on the weekends. And we got a lot of UFC and NFL this weekend. So we best make sure we have nothing going on. My half in person, half online is consumer behavior. Professor seems nice, but she is a gabber. All right. She is a gabber. She went over like the first two pages of our syllabus throughout like an hour and 15 minute class. Um, I do know some people in that class, so it shouldn't be too bad. But I just I'm just getting the vibe, you know, it's 
textbook stuff. You take quizzes, maybe in class. We'll do some discussion. I'll have to see how it plays out. My uh, fully in-person class on Mondays and Wednesdays, 9.30. I know. I, I don't like 9.30s. I don't know why it's hard to go to. I mean, I was able to wake up at 7 for school, high school every day, but 9.30s be killing me. I know. I sound like I sound like a little baby not being able to get up for uh, my 9.30, but I do. Um, is managerial accounting. I think, you know, I just, every, my last accounting class I had, it was kind of awkward. Uh, people knew each other. I didn't know anyone. Maybe I'm going to try and know some people, meet some people in that class. But at the same time, accounting is just not my soiree. It is just not up my alley. It sucks that it's required, but it sounds like the skills I learn it will be important for jobs I have in the future. So we'll see how that goes. And my class on Monday and Wednesday at 2, easily going to be my favorite class, is professional selling. I got um, some friends in that class. I know some people in it as well. I can just tell the stuff I'm going to learn in there is going to be very useful. Plus, the professor seems like an absolute G, and he has has five stars with like hundreds of reviews on Rate My Professor. Valuri Chan something, Chandrasekhar something. He is a super cool dude. I just, I'm excited for professional selling. So we'll uh, we'll keep you updated throughout the semester. I don't know if anyone cares, but sometimes it's fun to hear about other people's personal lives if you're nosy like myself. Um, speaking of nosy, we've all been bugging Dana White, us US, UFC fans. I'm like, Dana, give us some new fights. Dana, give us some new fights. And he absolutely edged us. He teased us so much yesterday about some huge UFC 300 title fight. And finally, he announced it live on Instagram. And what do you think it was? Was it going to be Alex Pajera? No. Islam Makachev? No. Um... Freaking Leon Edwards, no. It was Zhang Wei Li versus Yan Chaonin for the Women's Strawweight Championship bout. A China versus China matchup. And it was so underwhelming. Uh, Twitter was going wild. Instagram was going wild. No one was happy with Dana. I found it absolutely hilarious. But yes, one of the uh, title fights on UFC 300, the... Honestly, what is slated to be the biggest pay-per-view in UFC history going down April 13th in Las Vegas. You have Zhang Weili, your current women's strawweight champion from China, taking on the number two contender, Yan Chaonin, also from China. I don't know why this is on UFC 300. Obviously, it's huge. The first ever uh, Chinese full full Chinese championship bout between two people from China. Wouldn't it make more sense to have this in China or at least in Singapore somewhere in uh, Eastern Asia? I don't know why it's happening in Las Vegas at UFC 300, but... You know what? I'm a fan of Zhang Weili. She should run through Yan Chaonin, but, you know, we'll see what happens. They've uh, both been on a little good run of late, both coming off of huge performances. Yan knocking out, um, who, what's her name, Jessica Andrade, and Zhang Weili destroying freaking Amanda Lemos, oh my gosh, at UFC 292. So uh, that was probably been one of the bigger fights announced as of late. So, uh, yeah, it'll be it'll be fun to see what comes of that. I heard there's more title fights dropping today, so I am recording this in the mid-afternoon. It's just about 3 o'clock. So if there's any nightly announcements, we'll have to save that for Monday's episode. Other huge fight announced, heading over to the heavyweight division, number 12-ranked Jarzinho Rosenstruck will be taking on undefeated, perfect 11-0 undefeated fighter, currently unranked, but I mean, he had an absolutely crazy debut at UFC 296 against Martin Boudet, Shamil Gaziaf. This is going down in Saudi Arabia, March 2nd. Shamil is actually 12-0. I stand correct. I thought he was 11. He's 12-0. Um, I believe all but one are knockouts, and he had the biggest win of his career against Martin Boudet, earning a performance bonus. Um, he takes on Biggie Boy, Jarzinho Rosenstruck. He's coming off of um, 
a loss, I'm pretty sure, his last time out. I don't even remember the last time Biggie Boy fought. Let's actually check on it. Last I, last I, oh, he lost to Halton Almeida this year. That's right. I remember that. Very unfortunate. This guy's a knockout artist. If it goes to the ground, he loses. Um, but yeah, since uh, June of 2022, he's gone one and two. Um, losses to Volkov and Almeida and uh, a win over Chris Dawkins. So he hasn't been out of round uh, one since uh, 2021. So, wow, been a minute since Sergio Rosenstruck was in an actual uh, long fight. I'm excited for that one. I don't know. Biggie boy swings hard. Gazeoff kind of leaves his chin out there, but Shamil also hits hard. That should be a fun one, March 2nd. Another fun one, going down at UFC Mexico City, in, of course, Mexico City, Mexico, February 24th, we have Claudio Puelles taking on Ferez Ziam um, in the UFC lightweight division. Um, Claudio is 12-3, 5-2 in the UFC, uh, most notable for his submissions. Biggest win of his career is probably over Clay Guida. Ferez Ziam from Paris, of course. Um, biggest wins over Jai Herbert, Jamie Malarkey. Um, he's 4-2 in the UFC, 14-4 and four professional. Professionally, you know, they're both fun fighters. That should be a good lightweight bout. Also going down at Saudi Arabia, um, Riyadi, Saudi Arabia, that is, March 2nd. We have a bantamweight bout between undefeated 14-0, the snow leopard, Javid Basharat, um, as he takes on Amin Zahabe, who is 4-2 and is coming off of a beautiful Beautiful knockout of Alatangay. Knocked him out in just over a minute. So that should be a very, very fun one going down Saudi Arabia. Very pumped for that card. I was hearing rumors that Adesanya might main event it against um, Shara Magomedov. Those reports are false. Adesanya is currently injured and will not start training until February. But um, there's still hope that maybe Shara will main event. That would be crazy. Heading over to the lightweight division for a UFC Vegas 87 matchup going down March 16th. Thiago Moises will return as he takes on the even more returning fighter, Brad Riddell. Brad hasn't fought since 2022 when he lost to Hinato Moicano. Excited to see Brad back. He's had kind of a rough run, uh, three straight losses. Now, let's be real. Those losses are to Rafael Fazeev, Jalen Turner, and like I mentioned, Hinato Moicano. Before that, he was 4-0 in the UFC. This guy is down to scrap. Tagamoises, man, I mean, it's been a rough run for him uh, coming off of that loss to Benoit Saint-Denis in Paris. Uh, we we all knew how good Benoit Saint-Denis was, but um, sucks to see Tiago lose like that, but I'm sure he'll be back. Tiago's a tough guy. He will, he will be back to win. And the final big fight announcement, which isn't really that big, it's just kind of a notable one. Randy Brown will take on Muslim Salikov at UFC Vegas 85, February 3rd. Two of these these guys have floated in and out of like the number 15 spot in the welterweight division. They've lost to some killers. They've beat some killers. Um, winner of this could be looking upwards at a welterweight shot for the rankings. Um, I'm seeing the winner of this could maybe take on Michael Chiesa. Maybe the loser of Neil Magny and Mike Mallett? I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what the uh, UFC decides to go with for uh, more fights. But I'm hearing some UFC 300 news is on the way today. So that'd be, that should be very, very exciting. Um, so I'm pumped for that news. Heading over to uh, the UFC 300 realm, uh, that's not UFC 300, UFC 5, the video game, if I can think correctly, there's an update coming tomorrow where they're adding five new fighters, um, I believe those fighters are going to be, there's five of them, Myra Bueno Silva, who is currently your number, is she number one, number three women's bantamweight fighting for the belt at UFC 297, it's about time they added her, 
Um, at welterweight, number 10 ranked Ian Machado Gary. He's coming in the uh, new update. As well, they're adding Mike Mallett and Charles Jordan. Both are unranked welterweight and featherweight, respectively, but they are both on the Canada card, so that's why they're being added. And lastly, they will be adding number 7 ranked heavyweight Halton Almeida. Very good add right there. I also saw they're adding Macy Barber, Bryce Mitchell, um, Sean Brady, uh, Jalen Turner. They've been they're adding a number of fighters coming up. Bryce Mitchell with his camo shorts. I've also heard they're updating the game where that you can now change any player's shorts color. That's a certainly a good move. But one person I'm very surprised they haven't added is number eight ranked middleweight Brendan Allen. Brendan is currently on a five and zero run for those rear naked chokeholds. Currently fighting number five ranked Marvin Vittori later this year. Uh, I really think he should be in the game. He has ascended the ranks more than a lot of these guys. So I'll be surprised if he doesn't get added later in this year. But yeah, just a little UFC five uh, mentioning right there. It'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see if that game comes back to life because it's kind of dead. The game is kind of dead. I, I won't lie. I don't play it as much as I used to. And after some events that went down in my family today, I'm kind of not really focused on playing video games a whole lot. I kind of want to level up, you know, do excellent in school, try and work on getting my money up. I mean, I'm going to try and find a side hustle to do. Because, I mean, this podcast isn't really a side hustle. I don't make any money off of this. This is kind of just like a fun side project I work on. I would obviously love to be a sponsor, but... I don't really have a big enough following. I don't know how many people follow this podcast, but to anyone who listens, just know I appreciate you and reach out to me. Like, let me let me know. You can come on the podcast. I'll, I'll have guests. I'm very generous when it comes to guests. But yeah, that's a little little bit of UFC uh, fight news coming at you recently. Heading over to the NFL world, we have had a lot of coaching changes in just the last freaking, I don't even, what do you want to say, 24 hours? I mean, or just since Monday even. Um, we'll touch on outside of the NFL realm real quick as legendary college coach Nick Saban has retired. Um, how many how many championships has Nick Saban won with Alabama? Um, because this dude, let's, let's just look up some Nick Saban stats. He said, mental grind. And his age is the reason he's retiring. I mean, he's retiring a millionaire. So, I mean, uh, I'm not going to really knock him there. Um, he went 19-12 and 12 in bowl games, 9-5 and five in tournament games. I want to know how many championships he won. He won like seven or something. Um, he was named the most powerful coach in sports in Forbes in 2008. I mean, yeah, he's old, guys. He's approaching 80 almost. Uh, gosh, wow. I didn't realize he was that old. Um, I actually know he coached in the NFL for a while, coached for the LSU Tigers. Um, can I see how many, seven national championships, that's what it was. He's won ones in 2020, 2017, 2015, 2012, 2011, 2009, 2003, uh, a lot of those for Alabama. I actually coached for the Cleveland Browns, I think for a year maybe, huh. And for the Dolphins, how about that? But this, he's a legendary college coach, didn't do too well in the NFL. And, you know, there is a gap between being a good NFL coach and between being a good, uh, what's it, a college coach, if you if you will. Um, but, yes, exciting stuff for Nick Saban. I wish him the best of luck in his future endeavors. But in the NFL realms, the biggest one, Bill Belichick has, it's not a firing, it was a mutual letting go from the Patriots, legendary coaching career from Bill Belichick, I mean, he's been there, gosh, I don't even, 20 years at least 
with the Patriots. Um, Legend, legend of the game. So nothing but respect to Bill. Um, I'm hearing words the Falcons might be hiring him. He might become a head coach somewhere else, which would be pretty wild if that ended up being the case. I, I don't... I don't really, uh, I don't really know where he would end up, but uh, you know what? It'll be interesting. Six-time Super Bowl champion, three-time Coach of the Year, nine-time Conference champion, seventeen division titles, thirty-one playoff wins, and three hundred and two regular season wins. By the way, first, um, first in Super Bowl champions for a head coach, first in conference championships, first in division titles, first in playoff wins, and third all-time in regular season wins. Um, I think Bill's kind of. Kind of looking to pass. Um, I don't think it's John Madden, but someone for most wins by a head coach. And you know, if he joins another team, hell, maybe he can do it. Other firing slash partings of ways. Pete Carroll is no longer the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks, but there is word that he's going to stay on, just in a different role. Um, so that would just be very weird if he's not the head coach, but staying with the program. I think he should move on, but at the same time, he also is getting kind of old. You know, he's he's been with them for a decade now, I believe. It it might be time to hang him up for uh, Pete Carroll, but he's an amazing coach. Won uh, one Super Bowl with them, brought him to two. Uh, actually, he brought him to, I think he only brought him to two. The Broncos won, then the Patriots won, but hell. Pete Carroll, you are a good, good, uh, good egg. Um, he's gonna always oh, gonna remain with the organization as an advisor. Oh, how about that? So he's he's taking a little step back. Other firings. Um, Mike Rabel has a uh, parted ways with the Titans, basically saying like, uh, "Oop, they fired him." But uh, I don't know where Mike Rabel's gonna go. I think the Patriots could be an excellent option for him. But um, hell, we'll see what he's doing. I keep saying that. I guess I guess I'm saying that. Saying hell, no, we're not gonna say it. heavens. Good heavens, they fired Mike Rabel. Uh, but yeah, we'll we'll see what happens with all these new changes. It's it's getting pretty hectic in the NFL realm. Speaking of hectic, I watched a movie. I watched a movie the other night, and I regret... Do I regret it? Do I regret watching this movie? I don't know, but there's a movie on Amazon Prime. I don't know if y'all have heard of it. I'm sure you have. It is making the realms right now. It's called Saltburn, all right? It stars Barry Keoghan and Jacob Elordi. Uh, those are the two most notable actors. And then actually Archie, Archie Madqui, he is a, he's also a notable actor. He was in that uh, Gran Turismo movie. Uh, Barry Keoghan, I remember him from Eternals. He was one of the guys in Jacob Elordi. He is, of course, uh, he played Elvis and Priscilla, and he was in Euphoria, most known for his role as Nate in Euphoria. And this movie, Saltburn, is just, it is a mind F, if you will. It is a mind twister. It kind of just makes you go, what, what am I looking at? What, what, what's happening in this scene? It is nuts. It is nutty. That, that's a word for sure. That's a word I can use to describe it. Uh, but basically, let me describe the presence for you without doing any spoilers. I refuse to do any spoilers after I was told by uh, my sweet mother that I give away spoilers. Accidentally, my my bad. Um, but yes, basically the premise is this kid. They're both. They're all in college. Barry Keoghan's character. I'm trying to remember his name. Um, oh my gosh, I already forgot his name. Let me get his name right. Um, Oliver. Oliver. Uh, is it Oliver? Oh my gosh! What what's his freaking name in the film? Now I have to now I have to do Oliver Quick. That's that's what it is. And Jake Blordy plays Felix. And basically, Oliver's like this 
acts like he's this poor, just has no friends type of guy. You know, his life sucks. And he meets this Felix guy who's the son of these rich kids. He's popular. He's cool. He's good looking. Everyone wants to be with him. Everyone wants to be him. He is such a cool, cool cat, if you will. And basically... Uh, after a chance running with a bike when uh, Jacob Elordi's bike or Felix's bike breaks, um, Oliver, Barry Keoghan, runs into him and helps him out with his bike, and they soon become friends, and uh, they become best friends, and eventually uh, Felix invites him to stay at Saltburn, where his family's from, which is this giant castle, if you will, this um, illustrious mansion. And the events that unfold are very weird. Uh, I'm not going to really give too much away. There are... Let me see, there's three scenes that really come to mind that are just kind of going, you're like kind of going, what the F's going on? There's another fourth scene that you're kind of just going, oh, oh, this is weird, I shouldn't be watching this. And the ending, you kind of go, why is this Why is this scene happening? There, The twist is certainly very, uh, very shocking, I would say. I think the twist is very, uh, very off-putting. But uh, I, I would encourage people to watch it just because of the shock factor. And it is, it is messed up. I will, uh, I will give away, should I give away one, I'll do one spoiler alert, just to tell you about a scene, because of just how weird it is, I'm telling no parents to watch this, this is more for, for college kids to watch, or or maybe for sicko watches, there is a scene where, um, gosh, which one should I, actually, I'm not gonna give any away, I'm not gonna give any away, I won't say anything, because you just need to experience it for yourselves, it is, it is disturbing, it's Saltburn, that's all we'll say, and Saltburn, you'll figure out why it's called that, the, the title isn't really a giveaway of anything, just, uh, you'll see, you will see, unless I already mentioned something about that, I don't know, but we'll leave Saltburn at that without a doubt, let's get into our, uh, fantasy review, Let's get into our fantasy review because uh, we got a lot to talk about in the fantasy football realm. I went through and took a lot of notes. You know, I'm a big note taker for the podcast. I put in effort. I think some people don't think I put in effort for this, but heck, I uh, I do. So first thing I'm going to do for our end of the year fantasy review, if you will, play some trumpets, is we're going to go through all four of my drafts, look at all my draft picks, and then we're going to go through the end of the year fantasy rankings, um, kickers, defense, tight ends, wide receivers, running backs, and QBs, and see where everyone placed in the top 10 spots for the year. So without a doubt, let's start in my Cato Boys League. Um, I finished 7th in this league. Very, uh, not not the best record. I went 7-7. Seven and seven, Made some bad trades along the way. Made some mistakes. But um, I could go through every single draft, like uh, who everyone drafted, but I feel like that would take forever. So I'll just go over who I drafted. So I had the number 5 spot. In this draft, I took Tyreek Hill. He finished as um, the number two wide receiver. As well, actually, you know what? Let me let me re say that because I'm gonna go through our end of the year fantasy review. Actually, where I go through the top ten and then I'll go through the draft because I'm gonna mention where every player finished and see if it was worth it. So that is what we'll do. Okay, I'm changing up the order live here. We do live changes here on the podcast. So to start off. To start off, there's obviously six positions in fantasy football, uh, seven, but basically there's a kicker, a defense. The one we won't talk about is flex because a flex can be a tight end, wide receiver, running back, one of our other three positions, and the head of your team, your quarterback. Um, Out of all the positions, the top scorer for fantasy was a wide receiver. The number two was a QB, 
and the number three was a running back. So pretty fitting. How about that? Your your top wide receiver got 400 points. We'll get to him later on. And your uh, top QB got 392. Top running back 391. But we'll start with the kickers. We'll start with the kickers. Um, there was a tie. There was a tie for the number number two spot, I believe. So at number 10 is Dustin Hopkins of the Browns with 146 fantasy points. Dustin Hopkins did, did get hurt towards the end of the season, but there was, there was one point where he worked his way up to the number one or number two spot. I don't know if he's going to be around in the playoffs, so maybe Riley Patterson is stepping in. I can't recall who's the kicker, right? backup kicker for the Browns. I think it's Riley Patterson. But hey, Dustin Hopkins had a good year. At number nine, we have Matt Gay, scored 149 points for the Colts. He's tied with the number seven guy, Cameron Dicker, for 149. But I just went off of uh, how they were listed for uh, the ranking of them. So Cameron and Matt technically tied for the number seven spot. Um, kind of shocking that uh, you know the Colts and Chargers took different paths. Their kickers both end up with the same amount of points. Matt Gay was at one point in the top three, kind of fell down. Cameron Dicker kind of shot his way up towards the end. Pretty interesting. And number six, Jason Myers of the Seahawks, 151 fantasy points. I actually think I picked him up in one of my leagues as a kicker, ended up dropping him. He didn't really do too much until the end. Decent kicker. At number five, Harrison Butker, uh, 153 points for Harrison Butker of the Chiefs. Always a fantasy scorer, always an icon. There's You just cannot deny Harrison Butker. And he hits those 50 bombs like they're nothing. Um, actually, looking at this, there was a three-way tie for the number two spot. Um, that goes to Jake Elliott of the Eagles, Justin Tucker of the Ravens, and Cairo Santos of the Bears, all getting 155 fantasy points. Jake Elliott, um, pretty good. The Eagles team, the offense of the Eagles was good. Defense wasn't as good as last year's um, for the Eagles. So a lot of field goals from Jake Elliott, and he was reliable. Justin Tucker with 155 for the Ravens was very much out of the top 5 or 10 a lot of the season. Rallied towards the end, hit some big kicks. I mean, let's be real. He's probably the best historical kicker in the NFL's history. But for this season, he had to take a step back for number one. We'll get to him in just one kicker, um, Cairo Santos of the Bears. Bears kicked a lot of field goals because they didn't score a lot of touchdowns this season. So that's how Cairo Santos ended up here. And he got a big extension. He got like a four-year 30 million, 20 million extension or something with the Bears? How about that? Just to kick a football, making millions of dollars. Happy for you, Cairo. And our number one kicker, whose value was worth drafting. All right. He actually scored more points than the top defense, more points than the ninth and tenth tight end. Um, and I think that's as much. But uh, Brandon Aubrey of the Cowboys with 180 fantasy points, a rookie. He played soccer. He's got the leg. Brandon Aubrey, your kicker MVP for fantasy football. Best kicker in the league this year. You can't beat him. My goodness, he is spot on. I don't think he missed a field goal all year. Maybe one in the final game or something. I can't recall. But, man, he is he is so talented. He is so talented. The Cowboys got a steal in him. And I actually ended up with him, I think, in one or two of my leagues. But um, next year, I'm going to definitely have to draft him in the later rounds, potentially. We'll see what happens. But good job to Brandon Aubrey. Checking in with our defenses, or your, your number 10 defense, uh, the Saints, 129 fantasy points. Defenses, it's hard to score a lot of points. Saints, they had some good runs. They had some bad runs. They missed the playoffs, though. So what do you, what do you, what do you know? 
Number nine, the Raiders, 135 fantasy points for them. This Raiders defense was the only good thing about their team. Offense really struggled, really struggled. They need a good QB. They need a good QB for the for the Raiders. We'll see what they do. At number eight, the 49ers with 136 fantasy points got into some high scoring games, gave up a lot of points towards the end. But other than that, this is a very good defensive unit when it's healthy. They should be good in the playoffs. At number seven, the Dolphins, 139 fantasy points on the year. Another team, they were either getting blown out or blowing out. I mean, this this defense once held the Broncos to 20, while their offense scored 70. And then they gave up 56 to the Ravens when their offense only put up 19. So it's pretty much 50-50, Dolphins and 49ers defense, if they're on or if they're off. But uh, pretty good overall, and they made the playoffs. At number six, the Chiefs, 140 fantasy points. Chiefs defense was the best thing about the team this year. I mean, it was it was a rough year, all right? It was a rough year. I won't lie. The offense is not what it used to be. Mahomes is still Mahomes. Pacheco had a breakout year. Travis Kelsey had an off year. Travis Kelsey did have an off year. He was ranked like drafting him in round one was not worth it in the end. We'll, we'll get to tight ends after this, but... um. You know, it was, it was very fascinating to watch his decline. But uh, Rasheed Rice, a rookie for the Chiefs, absolutely blowing people away. He's he's clearly the top wide receiver in Kansas City. But the defense, 140 fantasy points, can't deny them. Getting into the top five with 158 for the Bills defense. You know, this Bills defense came up big down the stretch. They had some rough patches throughout the season, but overall, this is a playoff defense that's in the wild card. We'll get to their uh, prediction for their game later on. The most shocking, the most shocking of all the defenses, number four, is the Jets' 159 fantasy points, as this was a team with an outstanding defense. The Jets' defense was so good. But the offense was atrocious. The offense was atrocious despite having an amazing running back, very good wide receivers. The QBs held them back, all right? Not having a good QB. They floated with Trevor Simeon, Zach Wilson, uh, some other guy whose name I can't recall. Uh, just really let them down. And the defense would honestly have had more fancy points if they weren't out on the field like 50% of the game. They were just overwhelmed at times with with how many... How many uh, how often they're on the field. That's the word I was looking for. But yeah, Jets defense next year with Aaron Rodgers behind the helm. This Jets team could be contenders. At number three, the Browns defense, 166 fantasy points. This Browns defense was good. Miles Garrett should win defensive player of the year. I'm seeing on a lot of websites. Uh, very, very, very good for him. Very good for him. I uh, I feel happy for uh, Miles Garrett, you know, having a good Browns unit. And Joe Flacco carrying them into the playoffs has been absolutely outstanding. I feel very happy, very happy for this Browns team. And I'm picking them to beat the Texans. I'll get my full breakdown later on. A number a number tie, a tie. I was going to say number two tie, but no, a tie for number one between the Ravens and Cowboys who both got 172 points for their defenses. I mean, this seems kind of fitting. Your number one team in the AFC, your number two team in the NFC, their defenses have been a big part of why they have succeeded. Deron Bland breaking so many uh, records for defensive pick sixes, defensive picks for the Cowboys. Um, and without Trayvon Diggs, they still shine. Marco Parsons a dog. You cannot deny them. And the Ravens defense, I mean, came up huge, huge. Huge down the um, main stretch of the season. I just want to point out, uh, where is this Ravens team? I'm trying to find them. They didn't, uh, 
I was trying to see how many points they gave up in the final few weeks. Uh, I know they gave up only 17 to the Steelers with their backups in, but when they were healthy, only gave up 19 to the Dolphins, who were the number one offense at the time. Only gave up 19 to the 49ers, who were the number one team in the NFC, and only gave up 7 to the Jaguars on December 17th. This is a very good defensive unit. I have them finishing over the Cowboys in number one since they are the number one team. Um, but yeah, good stuff from the Ravens. Who were, were any of these worth drafting though? Were any of them worth drafting? Maybe in the final round you could have taken that Ravens or Cowboys. But um, you know, the fantasy value is not really there for drafting a good defense because it's only a six point gap between the number one and number three defense and only a 11-point gap between the number one and number four defense. So defenses will be defenses, but it's pretty cool. The number one defense is with the number one team. Let's get into our tight ends here. Let's keep it cruising. Um, tight ends, number 10, Dalton Schultz with 150.5 fantasy points, getting a new team with the Texans this year. Worked out kind of well. CJ had his targets. Dalton had some good games, but um, at the end of the day, just your run-of-the-mill tight end. Having a huge 27-point gap from Dalton Schultz, Jake Ferguson, 177.1 fantasy points. Dak loved Jake Ferguson. The rookie was doing an excellent job. I don't know if he was a rookie, actually. I can't recall. But um, with this Cowboys unit, Cowboys offense, they like to throw the ball a lot, and Jake Ferguson was catching a lot of them. We'll see him in the playoffs. At number eight, Cole Komet with 181.1 fantasy points. We know Justin Fields loves Cole Komet. He's had two decent seasons, continuing to get better. Um, if Justin Fields does stay on with the Bears next season, I'm, proje- I'm projecting Cole Komet to be top five. Honestly, he is he is on the route to be a top five tight end in the league. He finishes at eight, though. Rookie of the year for tight ends. Uh, actually, no, scratch that. What am I saying? Trey McBride at number seven, 181.5. I forgot we got other rookie tight ends in the mix, but Trey McBride for the Cardinals came, became a star towards the end of the season. Kyler Murray loved him. Uh, oh, I can't remember who was playing before Kyler Murray. I actually can't. Some white boy, I'm pretty sure. For the uh, Cardinals, the, the Trey McBride became a favorite target for passers for the Cardinals, and eventually, you know, he's the only good part of the Cardinals towards the end of the season. Good stuff from the ginger Trey McBride. And number six, David Njoku, 201.2, waited all year to break out, and he broke out when it mattered most. We know how good David Njoku is on the Browns. We'll see him in the playoffs. He's an absolute D-A-double-G dog. And number five, no real surprise here, George Kittle, 203.2. He's a top five tight end in the league. And I'm actually surprised he finished at five with how many balls Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk were catching. Um, It's just nice to see George Kittle gets in the mix as a tight end. Brock Purdy likes him, and uh, I think a majority of fantasy owners like him. At number four, my Minnesota boy, TJ Hawkinson with 219. He was the number one tight end for a while, did get injured and missed the rest of the season last couple weeks, but he would have finished number one. TJ Hawkinson, with any QB, is a star for the Vikings. We love to dump off to him, and Kirk loves him as well. So if we bring Kirk back, get TJ Hawkinson on your team. At number three, Travis Kelsey, 219.4 fantasy points. Um, didn't beat out a single running back, QB, or wide receiver, uh, finished third in tight ends. He was not drafting. He was not worth drafting in the first 
couple rounds without a doubt. Um, this whole Taylor Swift thing, the whole Pfizer ads, the uh, oh my gosh, the insurance ads. He was everywhere. He got so many deals. He made so much money, and it hindered his playing abilities. That's just my personal opinion. But Travis finishing at number three. We'll see if playoff Travis Kelsey comes out. And number two, this is kind of surprising, Evan Ingram of the Jaguars, 230.3 fantasy points. Excellent to see for Evan Ingram upgrading so much with this uh, Jaguars unit. T-Law loves him, had an amazing year, broke out down the stretch. This guy's worth a look next year. He honestly is. I don't know what to do with this Jaguars team. They kind of collapsed towards the end of the season. I believe they were 6-4 and four at one point. And finished nine and eight, so that should say a lot about how the team performed. But um, Evan Ingram performed. Also, mm, yeah, Evan Ingram performed the best of any uh, Jaguars player this season. How about that? And at number one, absolutely insane. No one saw this coming except for Zachary Ruger, Sam Laporta of the Lions, two hundred thirty-nine point three fantasy points. I am pretty sure I drafted him in one of my leagues. I saw something that said Dan Campbell was going to put him to use day one, and the rookie balled out. Did he get hurt? Final game of the year. That's not lovely to see. But Sam Laporta, two hundred thirty-nine point three fantasy points. If C.J. Stroud and um, Puka Nakua didn't have such great years. Uh, um, actually, Kyron Williams, too. But Sam Laporta would be in the Rookie of the Year conversation. And he's honestly in the top five best uh, offensive rookies for this year. An amazing year from Sam Laporta. I'm excited to see that uh, sophomore season, though. And even a little playoff Sam Laporta if the Lions can get past the Rams. So, shockers, I think, from Brandon Aubrey and Sam Laporta as rookies in the league and finishing at the top for their positions. Let's get into our wide receivers. Wide receivers, such a crucial position in fantasy and this was a shocking year for wide receivers let's get into it at number 10 Devonte adams 265.4 fantasy points it's a miracle Devonte adams finished even in the top 10 for wide receivers i mean just had no one throwing to him he had aiden o'connell he had jimmy garoppolo for a bit he just did not have a connection with anyone and Devontae Adams probably needs to get off the Raiders. He's making a lot of money. He's still catching balls. But if he wants to actually have like an Aaron Rodgers type connection, I mean, he was fishing as the top wide receiver with Aaron Rodgers. He's going to need to find a new QB to be thrown to him. At number nine, Stefan Diggs, 273.8 fantasy points. Stefan Diggs, kind of, I don't even think it's his fault. I just don't think he was getting passes. Kind of, kind of like, wasn't as on the radar the last few weeks of the season, but still had enough good weeks, still enough 20-point bombs. I think a 30-point bomb, I can't even recall, um, during the year. But uh, certainly interesting to see Stefan Diggs towards the bottom of the pack, judging that he's been at the top a majority of the time. At number 8, Keenan Allen, 278.86. Um, Keenan missed a majority of, uh, he missed a couple weeks. He missed like four weeks, I think. Um, but still managed to finish eighth. I mean, Justin Herbert loved him. He tore it up early in the season. But uh, injury hurt him. Having Easton Stick throwing to him hurt him a lot. But uh, Keenan Allen, I don't know what the Chargers will do next season. But um, I wish you the best of luck. And number seven, we got Mike Evans, 282.5 fantasy points. Mike also missed some time. But, uh, you know, he had Baker throwing to him. Baker loves to throw some deep balls. Mike Evans, another 1,000-yard season. Absolutely amazing stuff. And they're going to the playoffs. You'll get to see a little Mike Evans in the playoffs. Amazing stuff. 
At number six, joining a new team this year, DJ Moore of the Bears, 286.5 fantasy points. I mean, it's it's a miracle. I mean, no one said that Justin Fields can really throw the ball. He's a running QB. Having DJ Moore on the team really convinced people he can heave this ball. And DJ Moore, complete upgrade from his days on the Panthers. Looked amazing on the Bears. And he's going to be staying with the Bears. As this Bears team, I mean, I get the feeling they're cooking something up. Their defense looked better this year. They got DJ Moore. The running backs didn't look terrible. We'll see what they do with the QB situation, but DJ Moore, pretty good year. Before we get into the top five, a quick shout out to an honorable mention, Justin Jefferson, who despite only playing, I'm pretty sure like six or eight games, I mean, maybe maybe he got to 10, I don't know, surpassed a thousand yards on this season. He missed like six weeks with an injury, um, would have finished top 10, probably would have finished top five or three um, with the track of numbers that he's putting up. I mean, this guy was averaging 20 points a game. I think he only had two off games. Besides that, dropping 30 bombs or high 20 bombs, all right? Justin Jefferson, we need you back next season. You're the best wide receiver in the league. And number five, this one's a little bit of a shocker. A.J. Brown, 289.6. Despite competing competing with Devontae Smith uh, over who to throw to for Jalen Hurts, still managed to place fifth, all right? He had a lot of good weeks um, during the early and middle stages of the season. Devontae kind of took over towards the end, but um, A.J. Brown, still a top wide receiver that you will need on your team. And at number four, another rookies and rookie of the year conversation broke the rookie receiving leader yardages. I'm sure no one drafted this kid. Puka Nakua, 298.5 fantasy points. He finishes fourth. Incredible stuff from the kid. I mean, just finishing fourth in wide receiver rankings for fantasy football in your rookie season. It don't get much better than that. Amazing, amazing work from Puka Nakua, and I wish him luck in the playoffs. I mean, Matthew Stafford in Detroit, it'll be interesting to see. Speaking of who else will be in that game, number three, Amon Ross St. Brown, 330.9 fantasy points. He's Jared Goff's favorite target. I mean, how about that? Amon Ross finishing third, Sam Laporta finishing first. These uh, Lions wide receivers are the core of this team. I will say, I will say, Jared Goff is good, but I I just feel like if they had a different QB, they would be even better. But I don't know if that connection would be there between Ama and someone else compared to Jared Goff. But Amon Ross St. Brown having an amazing year. Did not pick him. I rarely pick anyone that's not a Vikings player. Um, in the NFC North, I usually don't pick NFC North players. So it's kind of a miracle I got Sam Laporta in my leagues. But, um, man, good job at Monterey St. Brown. Better than Equiamis. Better than his brother. At number two, Tyreek Hill, 376.4. He was the number one guy for a while when we did our check-ins with uh, our special guest, Dane DuPaul. It's um, it's a shame that Tyreek Hill got hurt. He probably would have broken the receiving record. He probably uh, or the he would have gotten to 2,000 yards receiving. Probably would have finished as the best player in fantasy, but injuries held him back. Still finished second. Had some amazing games, Tyreek Hill. Hopefully we can see you put on a great performance against the Chiefs in the playoffs. And your number one wide receiver, your number one player in fantasy for the year, thanks to an outstanding season, C.D. Lamb with 403.2 fantasy points. The only player to cross 400 in fantasy this season. Dak loved him. I mean, he cooked up so many two-touchdown, almost 200-yard passing, um, catching performances. Uh, C.D. Lamb is the best wide receiver in the league this season. How about that? It's just incredible. Um, I regret not picking him up. 
I regret uh I regret never I never pick him up any season. So uh, next season, you're coming to me. You're coming to me. Him, Justin Jefferson, Monroe St. Brown, some one of these players is joining my team. Okay, CD Lamb, you're an absolute stud. Get it done in the playoffs. See if you can bring Dallas a championship. Two more categories to talk about before the draft. Running backs. All right, running backs, always a staple of fantasy football. We love running backs. Running backs, I don't know what's more fun. QBs, running backs, wide receivers, I don't know, but our running backs at number 10, Jameer Gibbs, the rookie, 242.1 fantasy points. And imagine finishing 10th when you split carries with David Montgomery. It was the passing game, those uh, screen passes to Jameer that really helped him. Uh, Dude's a speedster. Duke can break tackles. Jameer Gibbs, you're a stud. Another Lions player finishing in the top 10. Just absolute, absolute studs. I think the only issue the Lions are going to have in the playoffs is that their defense can get up, come step up. Because uh, I know Jameer Gibbs can step up. Good job to him. And number nine, another rookie, Bijan Robinson, 246.3 fantasy points. That is right. Bijan from Texas had an amazing season with the Falcons. Okay, and he struggled. Okay, there were games they were playing Algier more than him, playing Cordell Patterson over him. He had Desmond Ritter at times. He had Taylor Heineke at times. He went through so much and still managed to finish ninth in fantasy football points. I love the guy. He'll have, probably have an amazing sophomore season. Um, and honestly, I hope he becomes a starting back because he gives me Derrick Henry vibes where he could really carry a game if he was on the ground. All right. And speaking of which, guess who's number eight? The King, if you will. That's his nickname. Derrick Henry, 246.66 fantasy points. That's right. 6.66. Ooh, Derrick, a little satanic number. Let's round that up to 246.7. How about that? Um, but uh, yeah, Derrick Henry leaving the Titans after this season. Still managed to have some good games. So he was so hit or miss. He was so hit or miss. He was literally gets five or under points or gets over 20 points. And that was every game. It was hit or miss. Um, Taiji Spears will probably become the main back in Tennessee. But I'd like to see Derrick on a contender. Could definitely help them out. I know he mentioned Dallas. Okay, I think whatever happens with Dallas, if Derrick Henry wants to go there, that would be scary. C.D. Lamb and Derrick Henry on the same team. Ugh, I don't want to picture it. And number seven, another rookie, Kyrene Williams, 255 points exactly for him. Love this guy. Absolutely love this guy. A waiver wire ad for many. Some people drafted him in the final few rounds. But um, Kyrene Williams, you are an absolute stud. You had an amazing year, dropping almost 40 points at times, multiple 30-point games, helping this Rams offense. Go to the top. Imagine having Kyrie Williams and Puka Nakua in fantasy. And I know my buddy Seth, my roommate, in fantasy football, he had um, Lamar Jackson, Amon Ross St. Brown, Puka Nakua, and Kyrie Williams, and Saquon Barkley all on his team. He had a loaded team, and he struggled for a while. But um, Kyrie Williams, despite missing a few weeks, finished at 7. There's one point he's the, either the number 1, 2, or 3 fantasy running back. I mean, excited to see what he brings us next season and in the playoffs. At number six, Joe Mixon, 267 points exactly. Joe Mixon really bringing it together um, after the first few weeks of the season. Started off rough, but once they remembered, hey, Joe Mixon is good, he he turned it on. Not as good as last season, I'll say, but still, nonetheless, Joe Mixon, an absolute stud, finished the season strong with a 20 bomb. Uh, this Bengals unit, when they have Joe Burrow, are good. But when they don't, they kind of struggle. So, Joe Mixon, I'm excited to see you next year. And honestly, you might earn a spot on my fantasy team next year. And number five, Raheem Mostert, 267.7 
fantasy points. I mean, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Raheem Mostert was supposed to be a nobody on the Dolphins for the longest time, was the number two wide receiver uh, running back in fantasy football, multiple 20-point games, 30-point games. He even dropped a 40, actually dropped 50 or 40 against the uh, Broncos team. Raheem Mostert, Absolutely love the guy. He's an absolute stud. Uh, he's up there in age, though. I don't know how many more years he's got left in him. But uh, after a season like this, there's no shame. 267.7 fantasy points for him. I hope he's healthy for the playoffs. They will need him against the Chiefs. And number four, Rashad White, 267.9 for the Buccaneers. An absolute stud. Flew under the radar all year. And worked his way up to the number four spot right at the buzzer. One of the uh, focal points, that's a good word, of this Buccaneers offense. And, I mean, he's going to be crucial when they play the Eagles. Their run game could definitely be an impact in getting a victory over that Philadelphia team come Monday night. And Rashad White, um, taking over the backfield after Leonard Fournette left, uh, has proven to be a valuable, valuable asset. Right, right. Rashad White wasn't a rookie. Was he? I don't think so. He. This is. I. I maybe, maybe I'm thinking of someone else. I'm. I'm actually. I kind of want to check on this, just to make sure. He's 24. Yeah, you're. T- you can't be 24 and being. Uh, being in the league. Uh, I'm sorry for the for the delay. I kind of want to know. Uh, when did he graduate high school? He went to high school in Kansas City. I don't think we're gonna find out. I don't think we can find out. Oh, let's go to the Buccaneers website. There we go. The Buccaneers website. Uh, Two years. That's right. This was his sophomore year. I knew it. I freaking knew it. All right. So you got Rashad White finishing fourth in his sophomore year. Imagine what Kyrene, Bijan, and Jameer is going to do. That's that's the point I was trying to make. And number three, Travis Etienne Jr., 282.4 fantasy points. A huge gap from Rashad. Uh, Jaguars really stopped utilizing him towards the end. Etienne, I really felt bad for him. He gave his all every single week. A good catch and runner, a good runner in just running itself. Um, It's a shame he'll miss the playoffs, but hey, a number three finish. And he held on to that number three spot like all year. All year, ETN was putting up good numbers. An absolute stud. Uh, I don't know what to do with this Jaguars team, but I hope they retain ETN. He is a very valuable asset. Brees Hall at number two, the biggest shocker for me. When I looked at this, when I looked at everything, I was not shocked that Puka finished fourth, that Evan Ingram was the number two tight end, Sam Laporta number one tight end, Brandon Aubrey the top kicker. I was surprised Brees Hall finished second in running backs. 290.5 fantasy points. Um, absolutely incredible, absolutely insane. And you want to know how he did it? Two 40 bombs in the final four weeks. Absolutely incredible. Uh, came down the stretch, put up huge numbers. He was the best part of this offense for this Jets team, okay? Not even Garrett Wilson. Garrett Wilson, a huge letdown this year, but that's because Aaron Rodgers got hurt, okay? That's because Aaron Rodgers got hurt. Brees Hall knows how to tear it up. Big runs, big plays. I, I really got to draft him next year. I really got to get Brees Hall on my team. I missed him uh, after he got hurt last year, so I didn't draft him this year. You know what? I had to eat my own words. But, hey, Brees Hall, number two fantasy running back. Congratulations. And that brings us to our number one running back. And he has given us the best value. The value you got from drafting him was a 100.8 difference. 100 points. One. That's like a full week. All right, this guy would have beaten a team one week if we did season long. I don't even know what I'm saying, but Christian McCaffrey, 391.3 fantasy points. Insane. The only running back to put up 300 
uh, he outscored essentially everyone but C.D. Lamb and uh, your number one QB, who we'll get to. Um, he was absolutely ridiculous all year. Christian McCaffrey, an absolute stud, uh, just the best value in fantasy football. Christian McCaffrey should have been your number one draft pick, probably. He was he was an absolute unit this season. Um, I picked him up in the league. I took second in for money. That's because the rest of my team kind of sucked. But McCaffrey, you are awesome. He's hurt currently. I hope he comes into the playoffs. I hope he can play, not this week, but the next in the divisional round. Um, but McCaffrey is uh, your fantasy running back king, all right? And you know what? There ain't nothing wrong with that. He he He's not going to win MVP. But he should be in the MVP conversation because he carried the 49ers offense at times. He is he's unreal. And I remember him. I've been a fan of him since his Stanford days. He's one of those boys that I've just I've always liked. He got that, he got that dog in him, that white boy dog. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yes, sir. Alrighty. Let's get into our top ten QBs. Cause we still gotta go over my drafts. We still gotta drop our wild card predictions. We still gotta go over UFC Vegas 84. We got to keep this podcast a-rolling, and it is almost 4 o'clock, and I have lots of homework to do. I was going to go to the library. I still got to eat dinner. My night is just beginning. My day is just beginning. At number 10 for QBs, I'm a little surprised at this. Baker Mayfield, 274.06 points, thanks to a couple big end-of-the-year, almost 30 bombs from Baker, and all season the talk was, don't start him. He's not a fantasy guy. He finished 10th. He finished over a lot of other good um, QBs. He brought this Buccaneers team to the playoffs, and Baker, you know, this Bucks team is supposed to be tanking this season. They said, F, no, we're going off. All right, Rashad White at four for the running backs. Uh, Mike Evans at seven for the wide receivers. And you get Baker at 10 for the QBs. Buccaneers proven people wrong. And good job, Baker, man. Good job, Baker. And they have a winnable game against the Eagles. It is a winnable game. I don't know if they're going to win. I probably don't think so. But you know what, Baker? You did good this year. And number nine, your most likely rookie of the year offensive, that is. C.J. Stroud, 276.02 fantasy points. And he missed a couple of weeks. And he struggled at times. But guess what? Your number two QB draft pick of the draft, your number two draft pick, turned into the best QB rookie of the year. Oh, my goodness. C.J., you absolute stud. Absolutely loved what I saw from you this year. And he's a likable guy. He's praising Jesus every time he gets on stage, which I absolutely love. He's leading comebacks. He is humble. And in his rookie season, is taking a Texans team to the wild card game, to the playoffs. And he won the division. He won the freaking division. DeMarco Ryan, DeMarco Ryan, whatever the head coach's name is, you're special. He might win coach of the year, personally. My goodness. That, it's amazing stuff. You know, CJ's got me all stumbling over my words. That's just, he's kind of cute. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. I don't swing that way, CJ. I just like the way you handle them balls. Alrighty, on to number eight. Patrick Mahomes, 280.22 points. That's right, Patrick Mahomes, who was going number one in fantasy football leagues. I, I think I might have took him number two in one of my leagues. Only finished eighth and off year from Mahomes. And why is that? Why is that, you may ask? I can answer that completely for you. He had no targets. I mean, Valdez Scantling, uh, obviously a veteran of the game, okay? Kadarius Tony, no idea that guy's on a team. Took him a while to get in touch with Rasheed Rice. The Kelsey connection was not what it used to be. He was missing Tyreek Hill. He was missing some of the other notable uh, Chiefs wide receivers of the past that aren't coming to my mind, but he always used to throw to. Um, it sucks for uh, Mahomes, but guess what? They won the AFC West. They're going to the playoffs. They're the number three seed. They have very good chances to beat the Dolphins. Nonetheless, Patrick Mahomes, a stud. 
And number seven, proving a lot of people wrong, Jared Goff, 289.1 fantasy points. And I compared him to Derrick Henry. He was either off or on. Okay, he was either balling out or not balling. He still managed to rally. A lot of turnovers, a lot of turnovers for Jared Goff, a lot of picks. But um, nonetheless, your number seven fantasy QB for the Lions. I feel good for him. And number six, Brock Purdy, 295.6 fantasy points. And Brock, you know, he had, he had some tough games. You know, the, the Cowboys gave him some trouble. Or was it? I think it was the Ravens. The Ravens is who really just humbled Brock Purdy a lot with just dominating him every regard. They benched him. Um, but he's easily in this team, Mr. Irrelevant, back to the playoffs, number one seed. Okay, we got to give Brock Purdy some credit where it's due at my friend Tyler Brischke, who's a Brock Purdy hater. But this will make my good buddy happy as his QB at number five, a shocker, big value from uh, the six to five, as Jordan Love finishes with 319.06 fantasy points. Packers uh, quarterback in either his junior or senior year in the league, an absolute stud leading this uh, Packers team from, I believe they were six and, what were they? They were, uh, I'm trying to remember what their record was, but they won like the last five out of four games or something, last three games or something to make the playoffs. Incredible stuff from Jordan Love, seemingly went from out of the top 10 to the number five guy over uh, the last few weeks of the season. He's looked great. He's honestly been the best part of this Packers offense. They have a, and honestly, Jordan Love, I don't think Jordan Love realizes that the Packers and Cowboys, no matter how good or bad the teams are, always have close playoff games. So we'll see how he performs in the playoffs. But as for the regular season, Jordan Love, your number five fantasy QB. And pretty crazy. He had a 300-point fantasy year, but Patrick Mahomes, Jared Goff, Brock Purdy, and Baker Mayfield didn't. That's interesting. And number four, Lamar Jackson, 331.22 fantasy points. Most likely going to win your MVP, even though I think Christian McCaffrey should. Lamar leading the Ravens, the number one team in the league, actually. AFC nonetheless, but the league in general had the best record, best defense. And their QB placed fourth. Good work from Lamar Jackson. Put up good stats all year. Um, Happy for him. Happy for them. I don't know who they're going to play. I think according to my predictions... Let's see. Uh, I don't really want to spoil. I think so. I'll be going over my picks, but um, we'll we'll see who Lamar plays in the playoffs. Uh, he's notoriously known for choking in the playoffs, so this is the year to break the curse, Lamar. You did. You placed fourth for fantasy points. You got 331 fantasy points all year. Let's put up another 30 point fantasy bomb in the playoffs. And number three, Dak Prescott, 342.84 fantasy points. An amazing year from Dak Prescott. Happy for the guy. Uh, you know, this this Cowboys team had its rough patches, losing to the Cardinals, losing to, I can't even remember who else the Cowboys lost to, but they lost some awkward games in between the season. But nonetheless, Dak had CD thrown to him. I mean, we have the number one wide receiver. You have an amazing team, the number one defense, the number one kicker. This Cowboys team is special. Dak Prescott, ladies and gentlemen, your number three fantasy QB. And number two would have would have honestly finished number one if he hadn't fallen off the last few weeks. Jalen Hurts, 356.82 fantasy points. Had a good season, nonetheless. Had a good season. Started off with looking like he could be the MVP. This uh, Eagles team obviously dwindled toward the end of the year. It was uh, kind of awkward to see, but um, hey, happens to the best of them. Uh, Jalen Hurts, number two fantasy QB. Honestly, number two QB in the league, maybe. Just looking off of the stats, he, uh, he they should they should beat the Bucks statistically. They have a better team, but as we all know, this Eagles team 
is out here losing with their starters to the Cardinals. That makes no sense. And to the Giants, nonetheless. They had starters at both those games that lost them. And your number one fantasy QB who gives you a 36-point margin from Jalen Hurts, Josh Allen, your number two fantasy performer this year with 392.64 fantasy points. And this is crazy. I find it crazy Josh Allen was your number one QB. He wasn't for a while, but he had so many turnovers this year, but he made for it with his running game, his passing game, just his IQ. Brought this Bills team from the bottom of nowhere to AFC East champions, number two seed. They are the number two seed. They are the number two team in the AFC, which technically means they're the third or fourth best team in the league, if you think about it from that standpoint. Won their last five games. Incredible stuff. Josh Allen, your number one fantasy QB. And I'm going to be honest. It is. It was not unrealistic that you could have drafted the number one QB running back, wide receiver, tight end, defense, and kicker. It's not. You could have easily snagged the Ravens or Cowboys defense and Brandon Aubrey in the final rounds. You could have snagged Sam Laporta in like the late rounds. C.D. Lamb would have needed to be probably your top three pick. McCaffrey would have had to have been your round one pick. And probably Josh Allen would have needed to be your third, fourth, or latest. Well, fifth. I don't even see him going to the fifth. But um, very good year in fantasy overall. Uh, biggest shocker. For every division, obviously kicker, Brandon Aubrey. For defense, I'm going to say Jets. I'm going to say Jets managing to finish fourth despite having such a bad offense. For tight end, got to be Sam Laporta. For wide receiver, Puka at four. For running back, Brees Hall at two. And for QB, got to be Jordan Love. Got to give it to him. I hate on the Packers a lot, but I'm, I'll, I'll let this one slide. I'll let this one slide for you. Alrighty, let's round out our end of the year fantasy review with a look at our drafts. So, might as well. Okay, we've been talking about uh, fantasy football now for, gosh, almost 40 minutes. Uh, still got a lot to talk about. Still got a lot to do for the day. But this podcast won't stop me from sharing my stuff. So, well, draft recap for the Cato Boys League. I had the fifth pick. I took Tyree Kill at five. Finishes the number two um, wide receiver in the league. An excellent pick. I love it. Just want to add that my friend Ethan took Austin Eckler with the number three pick. He finished as the number 26 running back. Jamar Chase taken at the number two slot by my friend Garrett. Finished 11th. Pretty shocking stuff there. Um, number nine, my buddy Seth took Saquon Barkley. He finished 13th. My buddy Cole took Tony Pollard. He finished 14th. Interesting stuff there. In round number two, I had the bum, 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 20th pick, and I took, I took Cooper Cup. He obviously finished 40th. Um, it was, it was an awkward season. It was an awkward season for Cooper Cup. I took a chance. It failed. I regretted it. That's just how it goes sometimes. In round three, I took Amari Cooper, another guy who turned it on too late. Just he, The QB situation really messed him up. He finished 20th. It was tough to see, but uh, Amari Cooper, you know, if, if he can find a good QB, because Deshaun Watson is not the QB. Um, Joe Flacco, a much better QB. And plus, Amari Cooper put up the second most points in fantasy all year with 51.5 in his final game he played against Houston. Amazing. In the fourth round, I took, who else did I take? Damian Pierce, wow. Finished 55th, a terrible pick by me. I took a chance on Damian Pierce. Just want to know that Brees Hall went right before him and Kenneth Walker went right after him. So big mistake from me, um, I'll admit it. Uh, but how was I supposed to know Devin Singletary would take over the duties? And uh, the 53rd pick, I took Mike Evans. Finished 7th, did pretty good. I actually traded him for DeAndre Swift, which did not pay off well. 
Um, that's just how it goes. You know, sometimes you have a good fantasy trade, sometimes you don't. Mine usually don't end up well. And then round number six, I took Justin Herbert. Look, Justin Herbert finished 17th in QBs. He was the top five, top three QB for the longest time before he got hurt against Denver. Um, but yeah, I guess we could have gone a different route. Um, anyone else who went before him in that round that was notable? Not really anyone. Uh, heading into round number seven, I took Khalil Herbert. I'm pretty sure I just dropped him. He finished 43rd. Uh, DeAndre Swift went after him, so that was kind of an L. Swift finished 20th, actually. Not even that good. Um, in round number eight, I snagged David Njoku, who I'm pretty sure I dropped after week number six because he had put up four, six, six, ten by five. And Joku didn't turn on until the final games of the season. But I think I had Sam Laporta in that league, so it didn't even matter. In round number nine, I snagged Jamal Williams. How was I supposed to know that they would change Jamal from a running back to a fullback? How was I supposed to know that? Big L from me. Round number 10, I took Ezekiel Elliott. I'm pretty sure I dropped him. Wow, I did terrible in this draft. Round 11, I took Alan Lazard. Well, it's because I thought that... Aaron Rodgers will be thrown to him. I'm pretty sure I dropped him after week number one just to add in some fun points after Alan Lazard went Devin Singletary, Devin Achani, and Jalen Warren. Wow. In round number 12, I snagged, who did I snag with the number 140th pick? The 49ers defense. Finished eighth. That's not terrible, but I mean, after the 49ers defense, no one else was really going. Round 13, I snagged Dak Prescott, but... um. But uh, I didn't play Dak Prescott like all year. I think I dropped him. Actually, did I drop Dak Prescott? I think I did after week five. Gosh, sometimes I really get hold on to these guys. Uh, in round 14, I took Sam Laporta, my best pick. My best pick was in round 14, Sam Laporta. How about that? Round 15, I took Tank Bigsby. He was a backup if ETN ever got hurt, but ETN never got hurt. Mind you, who went after him, no one really too notable in the final round uh i snagged greg joseph so big l i deserve taking seventh in that league very very embarrassing let's check out the four-man all-star league where i took fifth out of six people in round one i took travis kelsey big l but hey it was a six-man league and i wanted him on my team in round number two i took derrick henry but uh, derrick henry had a very um unimpressive year compared to his past years round number three snagged patrick mahomes big l big l i was thinking mahomes and kelsey are gonna be the number one guys for their positions i then snagged garrett wilson in round four how about that how about that garrett wilson uh finished 26 in wide receivers absolutely terrible pick from me how was i supposed to know that Aaron Rodgers would get hurt round number five i snagged etn great pick uh round number six snagged chris olave he was middle of the pack. You know, he's middle of the pack. I, it, was, it was a tough one. Uh, round number seven, Snag Debo. Great pick. Round number eight, we landed Damian Pierce. Why in the world was I taking Damian Pierce? I don't even want to know. I don't even want to know. We're, ah, wow. We're not going to touch on that. L pick. Then I took Miles Sanders. Wow, that's an L. <laughs> Neither of those guys were even on my team. Then I took Terry McLaurin. Terry McLaurin and Chris Olave. Very similar this season. Uh, we then ended up with Chris Godwin. I did not even play Chris Godwin. Uh, round number 12, wound up with James Cook. Finished 12th, but I had better running backs on the team. Snagged Dak Prescott again. Dak actually started for me a bunch. 
snagged the Patriots defense, finished 15th. I suppose it's not terrible, but um, defenses, they fluctuate so much. You're dropping them, you're picking them up all the time. Picked up Jason Myers, but I'm pretty sure I ended up with Brandon Aubrey in that league, so it didn't even matter. And in round 16, the final round, I drafted Dalvin Cook for some reason. A terrible draft, and I took fifth. I took second to last in that league, so that should say a lot about my team. Second to last fantasy uh, draft we'll look at uh, was the league I took second in with $200 on the line. Um... But my team wasn't too bad in this league. Um, you know, let's see, let's see what we did. I had the number, I had the number four pick, and I took Christian McCaffrey. Austin Eckler went second. JJ, of course, went first. Jamar Chase third. Um, any big L's? Nick Chubb tenth. Very sad. Nick Chubb would have been the best running back in fantasy had he been healthy. Round number two, I snagged. I keep losing my name because I had different names. I snagged Joe Mixon. Good pick, Zachary. Um, after Joe Mixon, did go A.J. Brown into Monroe St. Brown, so very interesting. Round three, I drafted T. Higgins. How was I supposed to know that T. Higgins would get hurt? All right, well, T. Higgins was hurt in week five, seven, 10, 11, and 12, um, and they actually didn't even get a pass thrown to him in week number one. I forgot how bad the Bengals started. Round number four, I drafted Mari Cooper, another L. How are we supposed to know? Round number five, we drafted Darren Waller, which, you know, Darren finished uh, 22nd for, um, uh, what are they, tight ends. But he missed five weeks, so let's say a lot about how his performance went. Round number six, who'd we take? Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, Trevor Lawrence is my QB. A huge L. Huge L from Trevor Lawrence. Disappointing. Round number seven, I took Dalvin Cook again, and David Montgomery went right after him. That is an ugh, that hurts. That really hurts. Round number eight, drafted Cortland Sutton. He had some good games, but nonetheless, Michael Pittman actually went after him. Would have rather had Michael Pittman than Cortland Sutton. Round number nine, I wound up with J.K. Dobbins, which, to be fair, J.K. Dobbins got hurt after the first game where he dropped 11. So uh, some L, though, because DeAndre Swift went right after him. And Evan Ingram went after him. How about that? Round number 10, we wound up with Jordan Addison. Excellent pick. Loved him. Uh, round 11, Raheem Mostert. I got Raheem Mostert. I got the number five running back in w- round 11. That's incredible. Uh, round 12, we wound up with Dalton Schultz. I don't even think I had him all year. I think I dropped him. Uh, we drafted the Jets defense in round 13. How about that? Round 14, we drafted Daniel Carlson. Uh, bad, bad kicker pick, I guess. Round 15, it wound up with Jared Goff, uh, but I think I dropped Jared Goff just because I was pissed at him for having, like, three bad weeks in a row. And in the final round, we grabbed Alan Lazard. I drafted some similar players in a lot of these leagues. I wasn't too happy with how a lot of these went. But let's look at the winning team, the final team I had. The winning team where I had the number one pick, I drafted Justin Jefferson. An amazing pick. Amazing stuff. Absolutely loved having him when he was healthy. When he was healthy, of course. Um, Heading into round number two, I wound up with Devontae Smith, who proved to be a valuable asset, despite finishing 19th for wide receivers. was very good. Then drafted Jalen Hurts in round number three. My favorite pick, number two, QB. Amazing stuff. Heading into round number four, I wound up with Alexander Madison. That was an L. Round five, drafted Tyler Lockett. Not too bad, not too bad, but nonetheless, Mike Evans went after him and Brees Hall. And into round number six, I drafted David Montgomery. Good pick. Then Isaiah Pacheco. Oh, personal favorite of mine. Loved the Isaiah Pacheco pick. 
Round number eight wound up with Dalton Schultz again. Didn't even play him. Then we drafted Jordan Addison in round number nine. Good ad. Another great rookie season. Round 10, drafted Devin Singletary. I did, and he was on my bench all year. That's crazy. Then we drafted Alan Lazard. Why the F did I draft Alan Lazard in, like, all my leagues? That is, that's an embarrassing thing to admit. Round uh, 12, we drafted Patriots D again, then Tyler Bass in round 13, waste of picks. And we ended the draft, oh, no, round 15, we took Rashad Bateman. Round 15, I took Zay Jones, two L's, and with the last pick in the draft, I took C.J. Stroud. That's a W. I think I dropped him. I think I dropped him. Doesn't matter. I won in that league. And, yeah, that'll conclude your end-of-the-year fantasy review. My goodness. My goodness. A whole lot of whole lot of fantasy stuff went on all season. We still got two more topics to talk about here. Um, two more topics to talk about on the podcast. First up, let's let's get let's get the NFL momentum rolling still uh, with our NFC. Now, I keep calling it NFC NFL wild card predictions because we got a lot we got a lot of uh, games this weekend. No, we don't. We got six games. Um, of course, two Saturday, three Sunday. Uh, Uno on a Monday. Uh, let's start off with our uh, Saturday games while the NFL momentum is hot in mind. I'm trying to keep note of uh, like timestamps to put timestamps on. I know I didn't get them put on Spotify. I don't know how to do that. I thought it would just automatically do it, but it didn't. But on RSS Podcasting, it has timestamps for if you listen to the video on there. So that's pretty good. So I'll try and add some timestamps. But as of right now, I have not been taking too good of track, too good of notes on when I've been talking about certain stuff. Anyways, let's uh, let's keep this rolling. Let's keep this uh, podcast rolling. So... NFL wildcard predictions. Okay, we kick it off with the Browns visiting the Texans. Uh, this should be a fun one. This should be a fun one. Uh, Browns finished uh, second in the AFC North, 11-6. and six. Did lose their final week. That's because they rested all their starters. Texans uh, won their last two games to win the division. Huge win over the Colts in the final game of the year. Just a fun stat for you. Home teams are 58-30 and 30 since 1990 in wild card games with a .659% win ratio. I think that's true. I don't know for sure. Cause, uh, the pictures they were showing me on the NFL website were like of 2012 games. So I don't know if that stat's up to date. Um, it's in the last eight seasons. Teams are 17 and 15 in home, with home teams winning. So I don't know. But as for my predictions, I think I have two. I have two away teams winning. And one of them for this one will be the Browns. I have the Browns beating the Texans in this game. Um, this will be the Texans' first playoff appearance since 2019 when Deshaun Watson led them to the playoffs. Um, another notable stat is that the Browns actually have the, the league leader in turnovers. They had 37 turnovers this season. The league leaders, um, last time they played earlier this year, Browns won 36-22. to That was on uh, Christmas Eve, but uh, the Texans didn't have C.J. Stroud. That was also when Mario Cooper put up 51.5 fantasy points. Pretty notable, if you ask me. I, I don't know what. I like the Browns' defense over this Texans offense, and I think that Joe Flacco 
is way more experienced in wildcard games than C.J. Stroud. And why do I know that? Because Joe Flacco is undefeated 5-0 and in wildcard games in his NFL tenure. Uh, love this Joe Flacco story of him doing well in the playoffs. Very fun. Give me Browns over the Texans 30-23. to I'm sure it'll be a close game, but uh, I got the Browns. I got the Browns in this one. Let's let's go Joe Flacco. I'm just rooting for him. But if the Texans win, I won't even be mad. I'm happy with to see whatever team wins. And it'll be interesting to see if um if the Chiefs win or if the Steelers win, then or no, if the Chiefs or Bills win, which I which I think that that'll probably be the case, uh, then it would end up being the winner of this plays the um, Bum, 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 bum. The Ravens. That's pretty. That's pretty interesting. We could see a little Joe Flacco versus Baltimore matchup. I would love to see that. Heading into Saturday night, seven o'clock p.m. Dolphins will visit the Chiefs, and it's gonna be a snowy one. It's gonna be a snowy one, from what I have heard. Okay, I've been seeing the news, seeing the weather updates, and it looks like it's gonna be chilly. Chiefs ended on a little two-game win streak to round out the season. Dolphins lost their last two, lost the division to the Bills in the final game. Very, very brutal stuff there. Um, the Chiefs led the NFL in drop passes. Kadarius Tony, you can uh, thank for that. They seems actually played in Week Nine when the Chiefs won twenty-one to fourteen. That was in Germany. Uh, the Chiefs actually went up twenty-one rip, and Dolphins rallied with uh, two touchdowns before uh, sadly losing it in the final uh, seconds, not being able to get a touchdown. Uh, Dolphins haven't won a postseason game since 2000, and sadly, I think that will continue. I think that the snowy conditions are going to impact the Dolphins. I think that it's just going to be Chiefs defense dominating this Dolphins offense, and Chiefs are just different in the postseason. Okay, Chiefs are just different in the postseason, and the weather is what's really leading me towards the Chiefs personally, and also momentum. The Dolphins have no momentum. A couple injuries. Chiefs have momentum. Healthy team. Give me Chiefs 29-19, to which would... Actually, let me talk about my last AFC matchup before I can give quick picks for AFC winner, the AFC uh, conference winner. Uh, at 12 o'clock on Sunday, we will know of our final uh, AFC game as the Steelers will visit the Bills. Steelers are, of course, your seventh seed. Bills are your number two. Uh, Bills are making their fifth straight appearance um, but they haven't won since uh, they haven't won a playoff game since the 1995 divisional round, I think. Or no, they haven't played in the wild. They haven't. Wait, what? The Bills are making their fifth straight appearance in the playoffs. They haven't played the Dolphins since the 1995 divisional round. That was what it was. I sometimes I confuse myself with my handwriting, but um, you know. I hate to say it, you know, because my roommate's a Steelers fan. He's picking the Steelers to win the Super Bowl. I love the optimism. I would do the same as a Vikings fan, but give me the Bills. I'm sorry, Seth. I'm sorry. But the Bills are on a five-game win streak. Josh Allen's your number one QB in fantasy football. This is a great offense. Defense rallied towards the end of the year. 20 to 10, though. 20 to 10. Okay, and the Steelers' defense will be tough. I don't see the Steelers' offense being too tough. Personally, I could even see the Steelers scoring a touchdown first and not scoring anything but a field goal the rest of the game. So Bills, 20-10, to 10, and that would set up a Bills-Chiefs matchup and a Browns and Ravens matchup. And give me the Ravens over the Browns and give me the Chiefs over the Bills, which I think would then send the Ravens to the Super Bowl, if that's how I'm doing my predictions correctly. Uh, I don't know if that's the case, but, you know... 
uh, we'll pick the Bills, we'll pick the Chiefs, and we'll pick the Browns. Lock in my predictions for the AFC wildcard games. Moving into the NFC, 3.30 on Sunday, Packers visit the Cowboys. And you know me, I'm a Packers hater, so this pick is easy. Um, but just a fun thing, Cowboys versus Packers, their series is tied in the playoffs at 4-4, four and four, which I think is very, very fun stat. Um, legendary battles, Tony Romo, Aaron Rodgers, I mean, even Dak Prescott, Aaron Rodgers, um, who Des Bryant making wild catches for the Cowboys, Devontae Adams making wild catches, uh, Randall Cobb making wild catches, uh, Eddie Lacy breaking free. Um, oh my gosh, who is the, the Ezekiel Elliott balling out? Packers and Cowboys rivalry goes back, but you know me, I'm a Cowboys fan. Uh, this Cowboys defense is amazing, Dak Prescott's amazing, CeeDee Lamb's amazing. Don't get me wrong, Jordan Love has had a great year, but. Dallas is yet to lose at home, yet to lose at home. A perfect 8-0 at home on the season, and they get to host the Packers. Now, just Packers are 4-5 and five on the road this season, too. I know it's the playoffs. It's different stipulations, different ball game. but give me Cowboys 34-28. to It'll be close. I think it'll be close, um, and I think it might come down to the Packers throwing up a big one to try and tie the game and Deron Bland picking it off because why not just for the storyline? Give me Cowboys. And Cowboys would then be the number two seed, which means they would play the winner of the Lions and Rams game, maybe? Or winner of Buccaneers and Eagles? I don't know. But you're number seven. Uh, actually, no. Who's the no- Packers are number seven. Your number six seeded Rams visit the number three seeded Lions at 7 o'clock Sunday night. And boys, this one wild as um, Matthew Stafford will play his first game in Detroit since being traded. And this Rams team, you know, they could have ended up with a seventh seed. They could have freaking gone out the easy way. But guess what? They won the final game of their season, ended on a four-game win streak. Nonetheless, 404.4 for this offense on the year. Amazing stuff from them. Uh, as for the the Detroit Lions, uh, ended the season on a win against the Vikings. Did lose the prior week, though, which was kind of a damper. Uh, good offense. Defense does give up a lot of points. They've gone 6-2 and two at home, though. Six and two at home. They've been pretty, very good at home compared to on the road. Uh, I see this being another close game, but I just see the Lions pulling this one out. I see the Lions pulling this one out 27 24. I just, and the Lions haven't won a postseason game since 1991. Uh, Lions, I think, know what it takes to win. I think they know what it takes to get the job done. They just need to commit. They need to not run risky plays like Dan Campbell usually does. And if they stick to the script, they should be able to handle the Ravens. And I think Puka and Kyrene are going to kind of give reality shock of what playoff football is like because it's different. It's so weird to say, you know, and this goes for any sport. This goes for freaking boxing and MMA. When you get to a championship slash playoff game, it is different than a regular game. It is just different. Players perform different. Teams perform different. That's probably what's going to be the case in this one. Give me the Lions. And our final wildcard game, Monday night, the Eagles will be visiting the Buccaneers at 7 o'clock. Um, they actually played earlier in the year. Uh, Eagles won 25-11 in Week 3 at Tampa Bay. How about that? Very fun stat. Um, and by the way, you know, this is actually the first postseason without Tom Brady or Peyton Manning since 1998. 
And the last team Tom Brady played for was last year on the Bucks. So Baker Mayfield will lead this Buccaneers team. Division winner, nonetheless, uh, against the Eagles. Um, and I'm not going to say the Buccaneers did good. They finished 9-8 and eight, um, with a barely positive point differential, plus 23. Uh, they are 4-4 four and four at home, whereas the Eagles are 5-4 and four on the road. So that does help their statistics, but this will be a close one. This will be a very close matchup. Uh, but honestly... As much as it's going to be a close matchup, most likely, I personally don't see it being close. I think the consensus is it'll be close. I think the Eagles get their you-know-what together and handle business. I think Eagles handle business over the Buccaneers 35-3. to 35-3, five touchdowns to one field goal for the Bucs. I think the Eagles come out in the playoffs. I, I'm not going to speak on how they're going to do in round two. I don't know how they're going to do in round two because if we're doing it how I think they're going to do it, we're going to have the one, two, three, and four teams winning. They'll be playing the 49ers and probably not win, but I think they can beat the Bucs, and I think they can dominate the Bucs. I think it's going to be the offense doing well. I think it's going to be the Tampa Bay offense struggling. Maybe not so much the Eagles defense coming up big, but they will make big plays, I feel. But um, I just got that feeling about this game, that the Eagles will get it done. So my official picks, Browns over Texans, 30-23, to Chiefs over Dolphins, 29-19, Bills over Steelers, 20-10, Cowboys over Packers, 34-28, Lions over Rams, 27-24, and Eagles over Buccaneers, 35-3. All my picks are locked in on Excel, so, uh, and they're recorded right here, so we all know they're true. Points are doubled for my, uh, playoffs, for the, uh, or just for the, uh, my like family league actually. Let me add in total season for the uh, stats uh, and closest score for each game will get an extra point. So how about that? You could get three points potentially for every matchup, and that'll do it for our NFL talk. Very fun talking about the NFL. Very much so. I love the NFL. The NFL is a good time, and we're winding down the end of the season. We're not gonna be able to talk about it anymore. I know, so sad. We're all so sad that we won't be able to talk about the NFL anymore. Um, but with that, we have one more topic left. I need a little break. I need to get some water in my lungs, collect my thoughts a bit. Uh, we're gonna be covering UFC Vegas '84, dropping a lot of predictions for it. It should be a fun one. Our first UFC event of 2024. Let's get these predictions rolling. Alrighty, let's wrap up this podcast right now with our UFC Vegas 84 fighter predictions. All of our predictions for all 12 fights on the card. Hopefully get it done in 36 minutes so that we can upload on YouTube for free because I only usually upload on YouTube when it translates the audio perfectly. So let's get into it. Sorry for um, sounding gassed. I just uh, decided to do 25 push-ups just out of nowhere, just just to do it, and uh, really brought some energy back into me, and we're talking about fighting, so we got to bring the energy. Let's do it. So yes, UFC Vegas 84, the 84th event going down at the UFC Apex. Of course, the Apex event started in 2020. Actually, I was thinking about doing an episode where I go through all my picks since 2020 and just look at some of the funnier ones, just like a quick glance through all of them, but that would probably take a while, so... Let's just stick to this one. The fight night headlined by number three ranked Magomed Ankalaev and number seven ranked Johnny Walker in the light heavyweight division. This is going to be a fun card, and I cannot wait for it to kick off. I don't know exactly what time it starts at. I think prelims start at 3 p.m. I can't say for certain. But uh, I do know we'll be predicting everything. And as we know, all prelim predictions are unofficial. All main card predictions are official. So... 
to kick off 2024 with the bang, which is with, with our first fight, a flyweight matchup between Joshua Van and Felipe Bunez. Um, Felipe Bunez supposed to fight Dennis Bonder, but Joshua Van stepping in on short notice. Joshua Van is 9-1. Felipe Bunez is 13-6. Felipe will be making his UFC debut in this one. He's got two inches on Joshua, 5'7 to 5'5. Um, a 69-inch reach for Felipe to a 65 for Van. He's got a bit of height, bit of reach. Um, both fighters fight orthodox. Joshua Van is 22 years old. Felipe is 30. Four. So let's start off with the debuting Felipe Bunez. Felipe, a little two-fight win streak. Um, of course, he is, uh, what is he actually? He's 13-6 and six professionally, been in the game a while. He's from Natal, Brazil. Um, actually trains at the Pitbull Brothers Gym, Patricio Pitbull. Of course, a notable Bellator champion. Uh, of his 13 victories, three by knockout and notable eight by submission, Felipe likes to take it to the ground. His nickname is Felipe Ingo. Filipino. Felipe Filipino Bunez. Very interesting nickname. His opponent, Joshua Van. I love this kid. I love Joshua Van. Born in Myanmar, now uh, now living and training in Houston. Uh, he's on a seven-fight win streak with his 9-1 record. Uh, five KOs and two subs uh, also. So seven of nine finishes. Pretty impressive. Uh, he stepped in on short notice in his last two fights. And won both of them in 2023. First one against Zalaga Sumalagov. Beat him by split decision in June. And then beat Kevin Borjas in November. All right, Joshua Van looking to keep the short notice skills running. The 22-year-old, he's only, he's only a year older than me. And he's got a birthday in October, October 10th. All right, how about that? So actually, for nine days, I'm the same age as Joshua Van. How about that? That's pretty cool, Joshua. We are the same age for nine days. Um, this is going to be a fun one. This is gonna be a fun one. Um, Joshua does like to strike. He uh, does, he'll he'll take it to the ground occasionally, but I mean, through his first two fights, he's has 120 significant strikes against Zalagas, 156 against Kevin, Felipe, more of a submission guy. I like what I see from both of them, but if I'm going to go personally off of just what I know is I've seen Joshua fight. I haven't seen Felipe fight. I do notice that Joshua has one loss. Felipe has six. Not that much to go off of. There is some reach advantages for Felipe. But purely, purely off of what I know, I'm going to go with Joshua Vance. So I don't know anything about Felipe. He could win his debut. He's the first fighter of the year to have a debut. And statistically, the first fight ends in a finish, at least the last few years. The first fight of the opening card of uh, the year ends in a finish. So Joshua Van by TKO, anyone? I will take it. Uh, let's go with Joshua Van. Round round one KO. Why not? Round two TKO. I don't know if he's got KO power, but nonetheless, he's got power. Getting into our second matchup. It is a lightweight matchup between Nicholas Iron Mota and Tom Big Trade. Nolan loved the nickname. Nicholas Mota, 13-5 and five with one no contest to his record. And Tom Nolan is a perfect 6-0. and oh. Five foot nine to five, six foot three. Wow, Tom Nolan with a six inch height advantage. Holy cow, they want to kill Nicholas Moda. Three inch reach advantage for Tom, 73 to 70. Southpaw stance actually for Tom Nolan. Orthodox for Nicholas. So that works out perfectly for both of them to strike. A little left hand, right hand jab, a little straight right, straight left. 
Nicholas is 30 years old. Tom is 23. How about that? We'll kick it off with a little Tom Nolan. He's from Brisbane, Australia. Four KOs of his six victories fought on the first episode of Dana White's Contender Series last season. So he last fought August 8th. So it's been a while since he last fought. Um, not, not too bad, actually, only like five months. Tom Nolan finished Bogdan Grad in a minute and 23 seconds. Knocked him out clean. Actually dropped him twice in that time span. Tom, the Australian, loves to strike. He's got big power, and he is going to tower over Nicholas Moda. Hopefully, if any of these fights go through, whether that be a weight miss or something, but... Man, if this goes down, Tom Nolan has the advantage. Nicholas Moda, the 30-year-old, of course, born in Brazil, now lives and trains in Las Vegas. Actually trains at Extreme Couture, same gym as Sean Strickland, your current middleweight champion. Chris Curtis also trains there. Nine KOs of his 13 victories, so he likes to strike. Um, debuted in 2020 um, on Dana White's Contender Series, winning that. Sadly, with his two, two years later, he would actually make his official UFC debut, getting knocked out cold by Jim Miller. He would rebound beautifully, though, with a round one knockout of Cameraman Camp. But since then, 2023 was not so kind. Got knocked out by Manuel Torres in June in under two minutes, and then got dominated by Trey Ogden in November. Uh, but then the ref stopped it early when he thought that Nicholas Moda was unconscious. Um, instead, he was still alive. The Vegas Commission ruled it a no contest. So Nicholas Moda is technically only on a one-fight losing streak. And actually, I think it just goes in as he has a no contest in his last fight. So nonetheless, um, Nicholas Moda is here to lose. Tom Nolan is here to win. It's the typical UFC plan. Give me Tom Nolan round one KO. That's pretty ambitious to have two KOs. To open the card, I should actually write in my notes, um, round one KO, round one KO, because sometimes I forget to mark what I actually predicted for finish, but I always mark who I think will win. So Tom Nolan, he's got the size, he's got the knockout power, and he's a younger guy debuting against an older guy who has basically lost his last two, so... There's that. Keeping the prelims rolling, we got a featherweight matchup between Weston Wilson and Gene Lord Silva. Um, Lord as in Jesus? Is that what you're referring to? Weston is 16 and 8. Gene is 11 and 2. Ooh, 5 inches. 5 inches in height for Weston Wilson, a 6'1 to 5'7. That is, is that 5? That's 5 inches in height, I believe. <laughs> Actually, is that six? I don't know math, clearly. Also, a foreign reach advantage for Weston Wilson, 73 to 69. Southpaw for Weston, Orthodox for Gene. Silva Gene was born uh, 27 years ago. He's 27. Weston Wilson is 34. How do I phrase it like that? Weston Wilson will be making his second UFC appearance um, from Virginia. He has five KOs and 11 submissions of his 16 wins. So, this dude loves to submit people. Unfortunately, he drew Johanderson Brito in his UFC debut, got brutally, brutally finished in uh, under three minutes. Of course, Johanderson Brito is an absolute killer on a four-fight win streak, all of those finishes. So, uh, no surprise he lost that one, but Weston will be back. Um, he's been in the game, been in the game a fat minute, but uh, he takes on Gene Silva. And uh, Gene is coming from Season 7 of Dana White's Contender Series. Beat Kevin Vallejos by unanimous decision. 
Uh, don't really remember that fight too well, but he did last fight in September, now fight in January. Not too bad of a turnaround. Kind of torn on this one, though. I mean, Gene from Sao Paulo, Brazil, eight KOs and two subs out of his 11, so he's finished 10 of 11 fights, is on an eight-fight win streak. Um, you know, it's another one of those scenarios. I mean, three straight scenarios where I'm picking the younger guy, especially the last two fights where the younger guy is supposed to come in and beat the older veteran, if you if you will. So I am going to pick Gene Silva. And Weston Wilson was TKO'd in round one. I feel like three straight round one KOs is very ambitious to start off the year. But we're an ambitious boy. And we have nothing to lose. Give me three straight round one KOs to start off the year. Uh, KOs count as TKOs, by the way. Figured, nah, why not? Why not? Why not be crazy? Pick these things. But nonetheless, I think Gene Silva will win this fight. Gene Lord Silva. There's only one Lord Gene, and that is Jesus. Alrighty. Keeping us a moving abandonway belt on the prelims between Farid Ferocious Boshrat and Taylor Double Impact Lapalouse. Farid, a perfect 11 0. Of course, his brother Javid, also undefeated in the UFC, 14 0. Taylor, 19-3, also a very impressive record. A uh, two-inch height advantage for Farid, 5'8 to 5'6, but a two-inch reach advantage for Taylor, 73 to 71. Orthodox stance for Farid and Southpaw for Taylor. Taylor likes to throw that left hand. Farid Basharat is 26 years old. Taylor is 31 years old. Let's start off with Farid Basharat, who will be making his third UFC appearance. Of course, he fought on Season 6 of Danwitz Contender Series, destroying Alan Bogosio on his way to a Namus decision contract. Farid um, trains at Extreme Couture, of course, same gym as Nicholas Moda and Sean Strickland, Chris Curtis as well. He was born in Afghanistan, but now lives and trains in Las Vegas. One KO and six subs of his 11 uh, wins. Actually got to finish his last time out in September at UFC Paris when he beat Cledson Rodriguez by round one arm triangle. Won his UFC debut over Damon Blackshear in March. I mean, all I've known is Farid. He's finished the Lester guy. And his UFC debut drew Damon Blackshear, who is a legit uh, unranked bantamweight fighter. He's a very good fighter. Um, so my money's probably on Farid, but I am torn due to how good Taylor Lapalouse has been. Taylor is currently on a six-fight win streak. 31-year-old is from Paris, France. Last fought in Paris, beating uh, Kowlin Lorraine by unanimous decision. Um, this is his second stint in the UFC. His first stint was in 2015 and 2016, where he went 3-1, and one, uh, not really beating or losing to anyone notable. I mean, I mean, and I mean, he he got a finish in the UFC in 2015. His only loss in the UFC was unanimous decision. I don't know if he's been finished actually, but I mean, he trains at MMA Factory in Paris. A notable, uh, pretty much every every notable Paris fighter trains there. Um, four KOs and six subs of his 19 victories. So a majority are decisions, but uh. You know what? I think this fight does not go the dis. I think this fight does go the distance. I think this is where our KO streak ends. But um, I'm not picking against Farid Bashra. I'm not. Taylor will be his toughest opponents to date. T Taylor will offer him the toughest. But give me unanimous. Give me unanimous decision for Farid. Farad. Farid Bashrat. I don't know how to pronounce it. Bashrat. I'm very, very sad. But you know what? I'll be riding with you over Taylor. That should be the most competitive fight of the evening so far. Going off of the notes I have. Prelims continue with another bantamweight bout, this time between Marcus the Maniac, McGee, and Gaston the Dream Killer Bolanos. Oh my gosh, these nicknames, ladies and gentlemen. 
His nicknames are ridiculous. Uh, eight and one record for Marcus, seven and three for Gaston. So wow, a couple of newbies, kinda. Five eight to five seven, one inch height for uh, Marcus, and both fighters have a sixty nine inch reach. Both fighters fight orthodox. Marcus is thirty three, Gaston is thirty one. This is a pretty competitive matchup. Marcus McGee. Um, 33 years old, of course, from Phoenix, Arizona. Trains at the MMA lab out there. Um, I'm trying to think who else trains at the MMA lab. Uh, gosh, just a couple other noble fighters in Phoenix. I think Cejudo might do some time there. He's on a four-fight win streak. Seven KOs and one sub give him a 100% finish record. And he has fought in twice in the UFC, stepped in on short notice in April of last year to beat Journey Newsom by Rinneke Cholko in round number two, getting a performance bonus. And then took on J.P. Byes on short notice, KOing him in just over two minutes to earn another performance bonus. Marcus McGee, super entertaining, super fun. Excited to see what he brings to the table. A little four-fight win streak, too. Okay. Gaston Bolanos made his UFC debut against Aaron Phillips in uh, April of last year at Holloway versus Allen in Kansas City. The 31-year-old from Lima, Peru, has six knockouts on his record of his seven victories. He is on a little two-fight win streak, so I think his last fight was actually in LFA, which is like a league less right below, kind of like the UFC of sorts. Um, I don't know really much about you, Gaston. I know you did get held down for six minutes in your fight against Aaron Phillips, who I have no idea who Aaron Phillips is. Um, so give me, and I mean, Marcus McGee has a 100% finish rate. Give me McGee. We're setting a record for KOs. Round two TKO for Marcus McGee. Give him to me. I'm here for it. We'll throw a submission somewhere on this card, but we're going with a lot of knockouts on here. We're having fun. We're having fun. Prelims. Are we rounding out the prelims here? I, I don't know where the main card starts. One, two, three, four, five. Yes. So this is our second to last prelim. We go to the welterweight division. For uh, Matthew Semi the Jedi Summelsberger versus Preston Pressure Parsons. Ooh, how about that? The Semi Jedi. I'm familiar with Matthew Semmelsberger's game. He's 11 and 6. Preston is 10 and 4. 6 1 to 5 11. Both boys are kind of similar in height, only 2 inches separating them. 4 inches in reach for Matthew, 75 to 71, over Preston. Switch stance for Matthew. Preston will have your typical right hand orthodox stance. Matthew Semmelsberger is 31 years old from Maryland. Of his 11 victories, six by knockout, uh, one by submission. Sadly, he's on a two-fight losing streak and has gone one and three his last four fights. I mean, joined the UFC in 2020, um, became famous in March of 2021 for a 16-second knockout, one-punch knockout of Jason Witt, earned himself a performance bonus. After that, had a pretty intense battle with Chaos Williams. Then followed that up with a... He lost that Chaos Williams bout by unanimous decision. Followed that up by knocking out the Diaz's boy, uh, Nick Diaz's boy, Martin Sano, in 15 seconds. Another one-punch knockout. But since that, hasn't really gotten it going. Gave A.J. Fletcher his first loss in March of 2022. After that two-fight win streak, he then lost to Alex Morono in a close fight. Then destroyed Jake Matthews on the feet. Then had an awkward Jeremy Wells fight in 2023 where he dropped him twice, but then would proceeded to get then proceeded to get taken down six times. So he was winning the striking battle against Jeremy Wells, but lost the grappling battle, which led to a loss. Then in July of last year, uh, had an insane, insane fight against Euros Medic back and forth before getting knocked out with a spinning back elbow in round three. Uh, so he's on a two-fight losing streak. Rough 2023 for Matthew Sommelsberger, but he'll look to bounce back against Preston Parsons. The 28-year-old is from Jacksonville, Florida. Of his 10 victories, nine by submission. Dude loves to submit people. Uh, debuted in 2021, got knocked, 
Tike out in round one by Daniel Rodriguez. Then beat Evan Elder by an decision in 2022. And in his lone fight in 2023, lost a split decision to Trevin Giles. I don't know much about you, Preston. I do know you like to submit people. But like I said, this is the night of KOs. Give me another Matthew Semmelsberger round one, one punch knockout. You know it, baby. You know it. I gotta do it. I gotta do it. I mean, I, this it doesn't hurt me picking these wrong. We're going with a lot of knockouts. But how fun would it be if they all came true? That'd be a blast. Let's round out our prelims with a little heavyweight action as the veteran Andre the Pitbull Arlovsky faces the up-and-comer Waldo Salsa Boy Cortez Acosta. Andre Arlovsky, 34-22 and two no contests. This dude has had so many fights. Wow, 34 wins, 22 losses. That's... So what is this? His 20, 26, this will be his 59th professional bout, I believe. I think he's looking to get to 60 and then retire. Waldo Cortez Acosta, a nice 10 and 1. 6'4 to 6'3. Waldo only has an inch in height and an inch in reach as well. 78, 77. Orthodox stands for both. The age here is hilarious. Andre is 44. Waldo is 32. Wow. A 32-year-old is young in the UFC. Andre, been in the game a long time. We'll start with Waldo. Waldo, of course, does Acosta, um, born in the Dominican Republic, five KOs and one submission win in his 10 professional bouts. Debuted in the UFC in 2022 after winning on season six in Amos Contender Series with the round one TKO. Had two unanimous decision wins to over Jared DeBandonier and Chase Sherman to open up his career for suffering his first ever professional defeat in April of last year against Marcos Rogero de Lima, but ended the year with a bang with a round one TKO win over Lucas Brezaic. Fun win. That was in UFC Singapore, which was my best fight night card, I think, of the year. Or second best. It was, that was a fun fight night card. Um, I know how good Waldo Cortez Acosta is. He can hang with some of the uh, unranked heavyweights, and it'll be fun to see him compete. Andre Arlovsky. We, of course, know who he is. Very UFC fan. Trains that American top team from Chicago, Illinois. Was born in Belarus, which is very cool. 17 KOs and three submissions of his 34 wins. He loves to knock people out sometimes. Hasn't gotten a finish, though, since, um, wow, he hasn't gotten a finish in the UFC since 2015. So I don't see that coming. Dude's been in the UFC since 2000. He was on UFC 28. Holy cow. He was beating Tim Silva for the belt back in 2005. Um, So former UFC heavyweight champion, if no one knew. Wins over Fabrizio Verdun, Ben Rothwell, Roy Nelson. He lost to Fedor Emelianko. He's lost to uh, beating Brendan Schaub, beating Bigfoot Silva, Travis Brown, Frank Mir. Lost to Steve Bay in 2016, Alistair Overeem. He was once on a five-fight losing streak. Wow, he's lost to Nganu. Marcin Tiberi, he's beaten Stefan Struve. Lost to Taiji Vasa, Shamil, Gusto Sakai. He's beaten Ben Rothwell. Lost to Charcinia Rosa's Beaten. He's fought so many guys. He is on a two-fight losing streak. Uh, got finished by Marcos Rogero de Lima in 2022. And his lone fight last year got knocked out by Dante Mays. I hate to say it, Andre. Your best years are behind you. I'm going to give Waldo Cortez Acosta a uh, boxing decision win. So we'll say by unanimous for Waldo. But um, hopefully this isn't the end for uh, Andre Arlovsky. Hopefully he sticks around for one more fight. Minute and 45. Ooh, hour and 45 into the podcast. We have five more fights to cover. Let's see if I can get through them all before the two-hour mark. We'll see. We'll see. Try not to rush, but also try to rush. We kick off the main card with middleweight action. My most torn fight to pick on the main card. Phil No Hype Hawes takes on Bruno the Hulk Ferreira. 
Phil Haas, 12 and 5. Bruno Ferreira, 10 and 1. Six foot to 510 in favor of Phil Haas. And a five inch reach advantage for Phil Haas. 77 to 72. Both fighters fight orthodox. Phil Haas, ladies and gentlemen, um, no hype. Currently on a two fight losing streak, unfortunately. And one in three, his last four, um, been knocked out in round one in all three of those losses. Now, be it those losses was to Chris Curtis in 2021. Um, Roman Dolodizzi in 2022 and Ikram Akaserov in 2023. So it's all been killers, okay? All been killers Phil Haas has fought. Dude fought on season one of Day One's Contender Series and season four. In his UFC debut, he KO'd Jacob Malkoon in 18 seconds. Holds a decision win over Nazardine Imovov and Kyle Dawkins holds a decision win. Phil is good. He'll look to turn the tide, though, as his chin has looked shaky his last two bites. But Bruno Ferreira, another absolute dog. Oh, by the way, Phil Haas, 35 years old, from Iowa, eight KOs and two subs. Phil's pretty good. Bruno Ferreira, 31, from Piranha, Brazil, seven KOs and three subs. He has a 100% finish rate. Lost his first professional bout last time out in uh, July last year when Nursultan Ruzabov KO'd him in a minute and 17 seconds. Very awkward. Nursultan just landed a takedown, kind of, and then uh, just hammered his face away, and that was that. Uh, his UFC debut, he knocked out Gregory Robocop Rodriguez last year, which was absolutely insane one-punch knockout. Um, I'm riding with Phil Haas by round one knockout in this one. I think these two are just going to come to scrap. They know the stakes. They know what, what's on the line in this one, which is a spot in the UFC still. So, um, yeah, going to be a fun one. I'm torn on this one because both fighters are pretty similar, but we're going to go with Phil Haas. Iowa boy, that's where my cousin goes to college. Fun one with ranked bantamweights up next as number 13 ranked Ricky Simone takes on unranked Mario Batista. Bautista. This will be a fun one. Um, 20 and 4 record for Ricky, 13 and 2 for Mario. Uh, 3 inches in height for Mario, 5'9 to 5'6. Both have a 69 inch reach advantage. Orthodox stands for Ricky with that right hand. Switch stands for Mario. He keeps people guessing. Uh, Ricky is 31. Mario is 30. Ricky Simone, currently ranked in the men's bantamweight division, was on a five-fight win streak before in his lone fight last year got knocked out by Song Dong in round number five in a main event. It was very tough. Um, but the native from Vancouver, Washington, has six KOs and four subs of his 20 wins, so he does go to decision a lot. Been in the UFC since 2018. Holds wins over Marab Shelley, Montel Jackson, Jack Shore, Rafael Sunsau. He is a legit, legit guy in the UFC. Mario Batista, though, he is on the rise. Oh, my goodness. From Glendale, Arizona, on a five-fight win streak. Three KOs and six subs make up his 13 victories. Um, and in the UFC, actually, he boasts a 7-2 and two record. Uh, losses are to Trevin Jones and Corey Sanhagen, which isn't too bad. On this current run he's on, he's had three submissions. Wins over Brian Kelher, Benito Lopez, and Guido Canetti, all in round number one. Had a tough fight last time out at uh, UFC 292 against Damon Blackshear. Pulled out a unanimous decision victory. Got it done. Was very impressed with what I saw. And judging by my notes, which I wrote down, I have him winning by submission over Ricky Simone. I don't know if he's going to submit Ricky Simone, if I'm being honest. But I'll keep it just because Verdict MMA will give me more XP. But I am predicting Mario Batista to get a win, probably by unanimous decision, but we'll say by round two submissions, just to do it. Uh, Mario, I just like his ground game a bit more, and getting knocked out like that by Ricky Simone, Song Dong really rattled his brains in that fight. I think he still might be a bit wobbly, which is why we're going with Mario. And Mario's been surging as of late, but it could be one of those scenarios, you know, Ricky was on a winning streak, 
then Song snapped it, and maybe Mario's on Wayne's streak and Ricky will snap it. Who knows? This should be a close one to open up the card. My biggest lock of the night is up next as Jim A10 Miller takes on Gabriel Mogley Benitez, the great, the legendary Jim Miller, 36 and 17 with one no contest, the legend. Takes on Gabriel Benitez, who's 23 and 11. Um, both are 5'8, both have a 71 reach advantage. Both fight Southpaw. Gabriel's 35, Jim is 45. I'm not for 40. Sorry, Jim, you're not 10 years older, but uh, man, this is a pretty even matchup. Jim Miller from New Jersey, seven KOs and 19 subs make up his 36 victories. Um, he's gone four and one in his last five fights, all four of those wins by finish, coming off a huge 23 second knockout of Jesse Butler in 2023. Only loss was a. Um, Nemesis decision loss to Alexander Hernandez, and Jim's been in the UFC a long time, since 2008 at UFC 89. He's fought on UFC 100 when he beat Mark Danzig, and he fought on UFC 200 where he... Did he win on UFC 200? Um... He did. He beat Takanori Gomi at UFC 200. So he's had two finishes, two wins on UFC 100, 200. Get this man on UFC 300. A little torn on why he's fighting now, but guess what, Jim? We'll be riding with you in this one. Gabriel Benitez coming off a win over Charlie Ontiveros in 2022 when he knocked him out in round number one. For that, he had actually lost his last two fights by knockout in the UFC. Dude's been in the UFC a fat minute since 2014. This will be year number 10 for him. He has wins over Clay Collar, lost to Andre Feely, win over Jason Knight, lost to Sadiq Youssef. He's kind of fought the average competition as of late. He's from Mexico. He actually trains at AKA, though. Same gym as Khabib, Daniel Cormier, Cain uh, Velasquez. So pretty interesting there. Uh, he has nine KOs and 10 subs of his 23 victories, so he likes to scrap. But give me Jim Biller. Round two knockout. It's It's not that complicated. It's not that complicated. Jim Miller is slated to win this fight. He'll hopefully win this fight, not take too much damage, so we can see him on UFC 300. This is working out perfectly with just under eight minutes left until we hit the two-hour mark. We have two more fights to talk about. I'm liking our picks, guys. I'm liking our picks. And we have top 10 action in two divisions to round out the card. First up. Manel Cape takes on Matthias Nakalu. Manel ranked six at men's flyweight. Mathuis Nakuala. Mathuis Nakuala. Nakalu ranked number five. I have no idea how to pronounce your name, Matthias. I am so sorry. I hope I'm hope I'm nailing it. Um, Manel Starboy Cape. Love the nickname. Matthias is 19-4-1. Manel 19-6. So both have 19 wins. 5-6 to 5-5. Five, five, one inch for Mathuis. They're kind of short. 68-inch re- reach to 66, though, in favor of Manel. Manel fights Southpaw. Mathus is orthodox. 31 years of age for Mathias. Uh, 30 for Manel Cape. Let's check in with the number 6-ranked Manel Cape first. Uh, he's currently on a 4-fight win streak. Um, he was actually born in Angola. I believe that's in Africa, I believe, or maybe. I think I don't know, actually. He now trains at Extreme Couture in Las Vegas, where he lives now. Of course, same gym as Sean Strickland, same gym as Nicholas Moda, same gym as Farid Basharat. A lot of noble fighters fight at Extreme Couture. 11 KOs and 5 subs make up his 19 victories. This dude does not like to stick around. Debuted in the UFC and lost to Alexander Pantoja. 
by unanimous decision, didn't really turn on to late. And then in his second UFC fight, which he lost by split decision, it was to Matthias Nukala. So this is a rematch. Since then, he's had two round one knockouts, a win over David Dort, dominating win, and his lone fight in 2023 had a fight of the night victory over Felipe Dos Santos. Manel Cape is legit. Put him in UFC, EA Sports UFC 5. I want to play as him. Matthias Nikalu um, from Brazil, five KOs and five subs, make up his 19 victories, was on a four-fight win streak before getting knocked out by Brandon Royval last year in round number one. You know what? There's just, there's not much to say about this one. There's not much to say. I'm riding with Manel Cape. I just, I'm a Manel Cape fan. I like what he brings to the table. I'm going to say round two knockout. I think Matthias might take him down in round one, maybe try and grapple a bit, but I'm riding with Manel Cape. Cause I like what Starboy brings to the table. I think he's, I think it's striking, is what's up. Plus, Matthias just got knocked out. It's hard to come back from getting knocked out cold with a knee. That's painful, painful. Hey, Ben Askren never did it. Neither did Frankie Edgar. He didn't come back. And we get to our main event. Uh, yeah, we have just a little bit of time to talk about the main event. This is a fun one, a rematch between number three ranked Magomed Ankalaev and number seven ranked Johnny Walker in the men's bantamweight division. Magomed, 18-1-1 with no contest. He's only lost once in his career. 21-7 record with one no contest for Johnny Walker. 6'6 to 6'3. Johnny's got three inches on him. He's a tall, light heavyweight. And a crazy seven-inch reach advantage. Wow, height is three inches for Johnny. Reach is seven. Both fighters fight orthodox, and both are 31. Wow. Well, I did not realize that reach that Johnny Walker has. That is pretty freaking nuts. Let's start off with Johnny Walker. He's a fun guy, born in Rio de Janeiro, now actually lives in England and trains at SPG Ireland, same gym as Conor McGregor. Of his 21 victories, 16 by knockout, 3 by sub. He's only ever won two decisions. He loves to end fights quickly. Um, came from the first season of Dana White's Contender Series Brazil, debuted and knocked out Khalil Roundtree, knocked out Misha Serkinov, lost his first UFC fight. To Corey Anderson, then lost to Kia Krylov, then beat Ryan Spann, lost to Diego Santos, lost to Jamal Hill, but since September 2022 has been on a roll. Submitted uh, Ian Kudalaba in round number one. And last year, knocked out Paul Craig in round one and beat Anthony Smith by unanimous decision. We'll talk about his last fight out against Magomed after we uh, briefly mention Magomed Ankulayev who is from Dagestan, Russia. Nine KOs and one sub make up his 18 career victories. Um, he's currently on an 11th fight unbeaten streak, dating back to his first ever loss. He lost to Paul Craig in a fight he was winning with one second left in the fight. Absolutely insane. He lost that. Um, we'll then go on to knock out Marcin Percinio, winning a unanimous decision over Clidson Abreu, knock out Dolce Lucambula, knock out Ian Kudalaba twice, one, one for real, the other was a bad stoppage, then had three straight unanimous decision wins over Nikia Krylov, Falcon Osmir, and Tergo Santos, and then TKO'd Anthony Smith in round number two. In December of 2022, he would have an awkward split decision draw against Jan Blachowicz in a fight I think a lot of people thought he won. Then, of course, in October of 2023, the last time these two fought, and actually the last time they fought was against each other, um, was an awkward no contest where uh, Johnny got hit with a knee on the ground, didn't look like it rattled him too much, and then when the ringside doctor asked him where he was at, Johnny said, I'm in the desert, which he wasn't wrong. They were in the, um, they were on Fight Island, I th or not Fight and they were on, they were in the desert, they were in Saudi Arabia, not Saudi Arabia, they are in the Emirates, the Emirates, United Arab Emirates, that's what it is. Um, but that wasn't enough. They stopped the fight, and instead it was rebooked for a main event, five rounds. But there was a moment in that fight where Johnny Walker almost landed a flying knee that probably would have KO'd Magomed. 
said. I think that was a super notable point in the fight. Um, super competitive, super fun. But um, I like both guys. But sorry, I'm a Magomed Ankalaev guy over Johnny Walker guy. Give me Magomed Ankalaev by round four TKO. I don't even know if it's going to go that long. These two seem to want to get after it right out the gate. Um, I, I don't know how that's going to work for them per se. But uh, you know what? It's, uh, it's going to be a fun one. It's going to be a fun, fun matchup. Fun little main event. Probably one of our better main events to kick off the year. Better than uh, what was last year. Sean Strickland, Nazan Evoff was kind of a sleeper. I see this one being competitive. So, yes, we'll ride with Magomed Ankalaev to keep his number three spot. And that'll be the card. It's going to be a good card. A rematch is always appreciated. Um, so, yes, let me recap all my predictions before I let you all go. We got Joshua Van by round one knockout. Tom Nolan by round one knockout. Gene Silva by round one knockout. Farid Bashrat by unanimous decision. Marcus McGee by round two knockout. Matthew Summelsberger by round one knockout. Waldo Cortez Acosta by unanimous decision. Phil Haas by round one knockout. Mario T. Actually, I'm going to change the Mario. But actually, I'm going to keep it. Mario Batista by round two sub. We'll keep it. Why not? Jim Miller by round two knockout. Now, Cape by round two knockout. And Magomed Ankalaev by round four knockout. So many knockouts. Will all that happen? Definitely not. There definitely won't be that many knockouts, but it's fun to think there will be. I think it's fun to think that there will be that many knockouts. Um, this will be a it's gonna be a good time, and now round it out. Now round out our episode. This was a fun one. Um, it was a good time. It's a good time talking about all this stuff. A lot of fantasy football. I took up a core chunk of the pod, and uh, of course. Wildcard predictions, we already know, and we got all my UFC predictions. I'll be back. I think I'm going to come back Tuesday with a new episode just because I only have one class that day and because I want to talk about the wildcard game between the Eagles and Bucks. So next episode will probably be next Tuesday, I'm assuming, because actually the 15th, I might go visit my girlfriend. So if she's listening to this, it might surprise you. Who knows, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Zachary Ruger, as you all know, and I'll catch you next time on The Surprise. Jab Podcast.